Adam Kraut. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thomas, did you know Adam is not only an attorney that loves firearms, but he's also a deadhead? Oh, big deadhead guy, huh? <laughs> yeah, it ain't yeah. a secret anymore. Yeah. You're like the Grateful <laughs> Dead. You got, you got on like tie-dyed socks or some shit today? Uh, no, actually, you know what? I did forget my tie-dye this trip. Ah. <laughs> Trying to fit in. Thomas, what's your favorite Grateful Dead song? <laughs> the one that doesn't play. <laughs> yeah, I don't do jam bands. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. No, no, no. They, when, when I was um, of like an impressionable age, they had like a radio hit. Like, yeah, Touch of Grey. Is that yeah, that, that would be the only song I know. That was a huge. That was a huge commercial album for them, and it was the first time that they really commercially they had a, a viable album that went far beyond its typical typical crowd. There's. There's wild stories from, um, I think it was Working Man's Dead, just the amount of money these guys spent recording that album and how pissed off the record label was at them. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. That's about all I know about them other than that whole, you know. I enjoy ice cream every now and then. They have that Cherry Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> That's about my knowledge. Yeah. Um, Although I do like that logo. They have the skull logo with like the whatever inside. Those bears, those are cool. Yeah, the, the dancing the bears. Bolt. The lightning bolts yeah. in the skull. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's oh yeah. That's probably why I like it. Yeah. I like a lightning bolt. It's pretty neat. You know, it, it's like any kind of music. Not for everybody. And those that really like it, really like it. And those that don't, really don't. <laughs> That's a thing. It's like an identity. It's really the only justification for tie-dye in this day and age. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Somebody did some tie-dye shirts for me. I still wear them hunting. <laughs> well, it's a good thing the animals can't see tie-dye. It's. I just looked at it as camo, so I was yeah, like... I mean, it is, hey, kind cool. of. So, uh, what's going on, man? We've known you a while. Yes. You work in the firearms space, trying to find yourself. And the last time you were at... Uh, what was the organization? Uh, my former employer. Yes, it yes. was... Was uh, what? It was Firearms Policy Coalition. Firearms Policy, the acronyms, FPC, everybody. Yeah, I couldn't remember it. Yeah, there's acronyms for everything these yeah. days. I got a new one for you this time. You do? What, yeah. What's it? It's SAF, SAF, Second S- Amendment Foundation. That's S- where I currently am. SAF, it sounds like something you get from a public toilet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think that's what it is. No, so. Second Amendment Foundation. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that's cool. Yeah, no, it's exciting when, stuff. When did you start that? Uh, I started there in November, the beginning of November last year. So what are you doing there? I'm the executive director. I was brought on board. So yeah, yeah. The organization uh, was founded in 74. 1974? 1974. So. Jesus. Well, they've been doing something wrong if I've never heard of them. Well, yeah, marketing is, we're working on marketing. <laughs> but um, Marketing's a tough one. Well, your old group, they jumped right in on the marketing. Yeah, so marketing is the one thing that uh, SAF never traditionally really did. Um, they were more about getting the work done. And, uh, you know, to their credit, been involved in over 250 cases uh, oh, cool. since it was founded. Uh, we have a Supreme Court case. McDonald versus City of Chicago was a SAF case. So well, any, and what is that? So uh, 2008, you have Heller, um, which says individual right to keep arms in the home. Uh, talks about bear as well, but you know affirms that it's an individual right unconnected to militia service. Two years later, you get uh, McDonald versus City of Chicago, right? So anytime you get to sue a state or a local municipality, it's because of McDonald versus City of Chicago. 
So all these lawsuits you're seeing these days against states, like that, you mean because of our case in the firearms space. Yeah, any well, Second Amendment claim. Well, traditionally, how does um, SAF fund these lawsuits? Yeah, like what's the fundraising? How's that? You just have like some wealthy benefactor. <laughs> that would be nice, right? A yeah. wealthy benefactor that just strokes you a huge check. No, I love so, having one. So SAF is <laughs> SAF has been traditionally funded by individual small donations. Um, a lot of our fundraising has come from direct mail. So you got to remember, back in the seventies, no internet. Yeah, um, sure. And the only way to really get a message into uh, an unfiltered message, uncensored into somebody's hands, was through direct mail. Right? Everybody goes to the to this day. People still go to the mailbox, but when you print it, it's what you say. It's not being filtered through any kind of media sure. altering the narrative. And so, more than just SAF, but generally speaking, for conservative or what would traditionally be considered conservative related causes in the seventies, that's how they grew and grew rapidly by direct mail. So. Um, my, my boss, Alan, the founder of the organization learned in the seventies from like kind of the godfather of direct mail, um, how to, how to do that. So that's been a pretty big stalwart in how it's been funded. And then of course that's transitioned over to digital fundraising as well. But again, it's, it's mostly individuals that are doing, you know, 10, 15, $25 donations, some more than that, but it's the small donations in numerous quantities that has funded the organization. Okay, so no, um, not even periodical advertisements or anything, not going through like guns and ammo or anything. I mean, you know, for, for brand awareness, that stuff does go out and, uh, you know, there is a corporate uh, program that's in place and, and kind of existed prior to my arrival, but I, I brought uh, um, one of my one of my coworkers. Uh, she is with me at this organization doing the corporate fundraising. So, you know, we're working with the industry as well and, uh, working to expand that as far as who's involved and the amounts that they're giving and things like that. Okay, so so now you guys are going to industry and uh, yeah, I mean you know lawsuits, as you well know, uh, are not cheap. Would have no idea. Yeah, so uh, and we you know we currently have uh, fifty active cases, so those those bills add up, uh, and you know we have plenty more that are going to be filed um, that are sitting on my desk that are we're working on plans on, and we'll see what city does some stupid thing in the next six months to a year that'll allow us to sue them too. Uh, there's no shortage post Bruin of of work to do. Uh, it really has changed yeah. the landscape. Yeah, it's really great too. I was watching on YouTube. Um, you know, just random stuff pops up occasionally and it was, you know, I'm sure it's probably my phone listening to stuff, but it's like, you know, watch this civilian school, this cop on the law, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the first one like involved him, what video that I saw on YouTube, a guy carrying a gun mm. and yeah, the, the officer did not know the law very well and got humiliated and um, yeah, well, I, I wonder why she's not asked us to help fund some stuff. Well, I'm here, so I can ask you. You can. <laughs> she, she needs to be doing her job, all right? Yeah. Demerit, yeah. demerit for her. <laughs> I'll be sure to let yeah. her know when I get, when <laughs> oh, I get <laughs> back. <laughs> we'll actually have her watch the podcast, and mm. she could just see us talk about it, and that's how she'll find out. Okay. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, that's how it's been traditionally funded. And of course, one of the things that the organization has done is tried to be very good stewards of, of people's money. Um, you know, when we work with attorneys, we, we work with them at the best rates possible. Um, we've worked with world-class attorneys. Uh, I think the figure is about 80% of second amendment case law has been won by SAF or our attorneys. 
Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the whole point of the organization, going back to the 70s for a moment, you know, Allen's vision was how to elevate a case to the Supreme Court. And one of the other interesting things that came out in 1974 was me. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> and we could just stop there. Yeah. Uh, but there was a law review article I've written that year that was the first time that anybody had really posited in a law review that the Second Amendment was an individual right. And so in the early years, SAF funded a lot of these scholars and lawyers to come together to figure out, okay, what is the foundation we need to build in order to get from A to B, B being case at the Supreme Court? So meaning before this, it's considered like a right of militia or... Yeah, and, and there wasn't really any case law on it. You had a, You had a state Supreme Court case out of Oregon that dealt with knives, and that was really kind of the only stuff out there. I mean, you have the Miller case for that NFA case from the 30s that the Supreme Court decided, but, you know, defendant died and his lawyer didn't show up, so of course that's not going to go all that well. Yeah. Um, so you have this stuff being funded by SAF and, you know, to be fair to other groups, some other groups pitched in along the way as well, but really trying to shape the field as to how do we get from A to B, what research needs to be done, what kind of articles do we need to publish? And this went on for years. And, and during that time, um, SAF started the Gun Rights Policy Conference uh, in conjunction with its sister C4 organization, the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. And the whole point of those conferences was really for people to get together and try to figure out how to change the, uh, the landscape, both legally and politically. So, again, you know, prior to the Internet, it wasn't as simple as going on Facebook and posting, this is what we're doing in our state or help us. It was, you know, you had to get together with people and shake hands and uh, spend time talking with one another and newsletters and publications and all of that. And then really, I would say, you know, as far as the legal stuff, it, you know, there were some things in the 80s, there were some in the 90s, but r really, I think... The world began with Heller in a lot of ways, and that's not true. Just true for our organization; it's true for really everyone. Once, once the Supreme Court said individual right unconnected to militia, ser militia service, game on. Um, and since then, as everybody knows that pays any attention to this stuff, you know, it's just lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. So, Heller, two thousand eight, McDonald versus City of Chicago, SAF case, twenty ten, Catano. Uh, in 2016, stun guns protected by the Second Amendment uh, didn't exist at the time of founding. Doesn't matter. Uh, I think there was something in there about you know being about 200,000 of them, uh, but they're protected. And then most recently, Bruin um, last summer uh, that you know there is a right to bear arms outside of the home and reaffirm the test that has to be applied to Second Amendment challenges. That being the text of the Second Amendment as informed by this nation's history and tradition, which by the way, is what the court said in Heller and all the lower courts said, yeah, we don't really care. Let's make up some two-step thing and screw this up for you know a number of years. So post-Bruin, it's led to a lot of litigation. Um, you know, the number of states, New York, New Jersey, Maryland, uh, California is looking at implementing a bill Hawaii just did for sensitive places of all these places are sensitive areas and you can't carry guns. And of course, that's not exactly what the Supreme Court said as far as the areas they're designating. So they're all getting sued over that. Um, permitting issues, uh, you know, uh, the criteria to get a permit, things like that are all being challenged in addition to all the litigation that was currently ongoing. Hey, this is the test. Uh, this is why we, we win on that test and we should have been winning on that test. Um, and, you know, any number of new ideas that are coming to people's heads. So it's a, a very fruitful time to be a lawyer in the Second Amendment space. That's interesting. Yeah. W w what's the typical case right now you guys are involved in? And, yeah. So, and, and is it uh, like local municipalities or? Well, they run the gamut. So we yeah. have 
eight assault weapons ban challenges throughout the country. Uh, I believe there's six magazine capacity challenges. We have cases dealing with 18 to 20 year olds, so their ability to purchase. Uh, there's two challenges to the federal handgun prohibition. There are challenges to some of the state laws that prohibited long gun purchases, um, challenges to their inability to bear arms in public. Uh, we have cases that deal with ATF regulations. We have cases that deal uh, with some more nuanced issues. There was a case up in Michigan that actually just settled the other week that dealt with foster uh, care parents and their right to have arms in the home. Uh, cases dealing with the sensitive places I mentioned previously, uh, public transportation. What would what, what be some of these sensitive places that might be surprising? Yeah, so the the biggest... The biggest one, I, I don't know if I can tell you anything that's surprising. You know, they're saying like, oh, stadiums and, and things like that and, and government buildings and So ju- just going after where people are generally. The, the broad, like uh, public, being in a public domain or a... More or less. Yeah. I mean, if you looked at New Jersey, what New Jersey had implemented, it was very limited to where you actually would be able to carry one of the ones i don't want to say it's public gathering yeah so they're just just so broad yeah i mean anything that was public really restaurants that serve alcohol so it wasn't that you were sitting at the bar drinking with your gun it was you were in a building with where they served alcohol uh the biggest thing that a lot of these states have implemented is what we call the anti-carry rule and that was essentially that all private property um the rule generally was that if you didn't want people on your your prior to this prior to these laws when you don't want somebody on your property you post a sign you know no guns allowed well this flipped that on its head and it was if you want to allow people to carry firearms in there that's fine you need to post it otherwise they're in violation of the law so now a bunch of places that might so not have otherwise it's my private property and i want you to be able to carry a gun i have to post a sign that says you can yeah so let's <laughs> say let's say you owned a business downtown and let's just say your business for argument's sake was in you know somewhere in maryland yeah that's what would have to happen you have to post that that conduct is permissible versus no i don't want you to do it or posting nothing and just taking no position on it and there's a number so of... we make a law for me to post a sign to make people it ease that <laughs> yeah it's so it really what it, it it's design and effect however was it it cut the number of places people could carry down simply by virtue of places that never bothered to post a sign because they didn't care one way or another and they're not going to make that affirmative step so make people make a stand on it Mm-hmm. And then require a business to do something to allow it. Re- require a business to take an affirmative step versus we're not going to do anything one way or the other. Oh, God. Thomas, you, you know one thing I love about Africa? <laughs> it's free. <laughs> it's like if all this stuff that comes up in America now, if you said it to an African, they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why would you do that? That's stupid. You would never do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, that's, that's what's going on. That's what we do. It makes no sense, but here like, we are. Let's create laws to jam people up or to provide people with employment. Well, so the one, the not, one, not to enhance <laughs> life, you know, uh, our lives or yeah, to to protect freedom. Let's let's just take it. I mean, the interesting thing about it is, it's seemingly that the you know side that wants to prohibits people's rights. Uh, they're just they're going for broke with everything, and if you look at what the Supreme Court said, none of this stuff is going to stand. I hate politics, but it does seem to be that whole side of things in every part of life. Yeah, I'm not a politics yeah, they, fan uh, either. There, there was it was a while. What was that like? 
three or four or five years ago where we thought we were going to have to build like a third bathroom at Q. And I'm like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, I don't, I don't know. Adam dresses like a girl half the time he comes to see us. Like, I don't care. He doesn't get a special bathroom because of it. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Some weird shit going on, man. But guns, what do you think is our, like, what's the biggest threat currently overall for our, like, is it an assault weapons ban? Like, we see what's going on with the brace fiasco, which there's an asterisk next to that. That's always been a bit of a fiasco, so it's not like that one's shocking anyone. But is it um, is is the biggest threat to like a, a firearm ban, or is it they're they're gonna do it by regulating owning firearms, or you're not gonna be able to carry firearms? Like, what do you think's on the horizon that's gonna be, you know, surprising or the biggest pain in the ass, or the you know, or violation of our rights? So I think an outright ban is a probably a bridge too far uh, you know is it a is it a potential sure anything's possible but right now congress can't agree what color the sky is on any given day uh when they all know what color it is so i think on a national level i, I think you you know if, if we continue with the uh, the kind of presidency we have and, and that goes in through 2024 and that's what the election you know turns out as another democrat I think the weaponization of, uh, you know, administrative agencies is still a, a viable pathway to implement policy preferences absent Congress. Now, we are challenging a lot of that stuff in court. Um, it's so great because it just seems like regulatory has become just a workaround for the law. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like when they, you know, I mean, you, you see on a smaller scale, you're familiar with what they did with us with the honey badger brace and it. Like, it wasn't even NFA branch. Right. Like, two attorneys in Boston in the field office. It's like New England doesn't want firearms companies. <laughs> and so, two attorneys there send a letter declaring, they declared that the Honey Badger pistols were SBRs. Yeah. It's like, how the fuck does that happen? Uh, well, it, you, uh, you saw how it happened. I saw how it happened. <laughs> it cost me millions of dollars and hundreds and hundreds of thousands in attorney's fees. And then they say, yeah, well, just ignore that letter for now. We'll get back to you. Yeah. And I'm like, well, where's, how, does, how does this work? Where's my 400 grand? Yeah. Or like the millions of dollars you cost me in not shipping guns for six months. Ah, like there's our just bad. No, no personal accountability. There, when, there's no accountability. When they have individual power to wreck your life and, and the lives of your employees and your customers and, you know, your vendors, everyone. It's, it's like such bullshit. There's no accountability. And it's not just there. It's also with politicians, right? So you want to go back to the threats. At the state level... Uh, depends what state you live in. Most states are either red or blue at this point. I think there's very few that are kind of you know on that fence the, where it could the, go one way one's or the other. This one's starting to yeah yeah walk but, that fence. Yeah, yeah well, there are very few on the fence. Most are yeah. either like solid red sure. or we haven't seen a gun law that we won't pass. And so you know you have these politicians voting for these laws. They're implementing these laws. Groups like SAF are challenging these laws and really the taxpayer is the one who suffers because it's you who's funding these groups to fight these laws that are passed with your tax dollars that they use your tax dollars to defend. And at the end of the day, if they're declared unconstitutional, there's no repercussions for those people whatsoever. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Personal accountability with, yeah, I mean, for me, cause regulatory is such a big part of my life. I just think in those terms, but you're right. All politicians, Thomas, can you please get my blood pressure medication? <laughs> <laughs> like I feel it already. <laughs> Like, fuck my life. What am I doing A vein's here? starting to pop out of your head a little bit. <laughs> Just so fucking insane. Like, hey, let's make laws to stop drugs. Yeah, it Gun worked violence. out well. 
Yeah. Vi- what do you think as an attorney? Like I'm of the opinion currently that like all laws should expire. It should be like terms, just like elected officials. Like if if some idiot passes a law, or even if it's a good law, like because I always say I re- you know reserve the right to change my mind. Yeah. So. I think we should all be that way as we learn and grow and you get older. Like you don't have the same fucking rules when you're an adult as you do when you're a child and, and society changes. And I, and I think that's a wonderful thing in a lot of ways. Like I love the evolution of all sorts of things, but it seems like if every law expired or had a term and then you have, you know, then the citizens vote for it again. Yay or nay? Sort of like, you know, in, in some ways, like, uh, you know, with the assault weapons ban. Uh, the sunset the, provision, yeah. The, yeah, it's sunset. And it's just like, you know, all Bush had to do was just not renew it. Right. Works out pretty fucking great in the end because we don't, because that's the problem. Like NFA, like we want to repeal NFA. It would have been great if that were a 10-year thing. Sure. And it's like, okay, well, if most of the citizens think it's a good thing. Fine, it passed. In 10 years, you know, the world's a little different, and we see, did it actually change anything? You know, if we stop, you know, they banned guns in Chicago. Like, uh, people are still shooting people. Maybe that's not the thing to do, you know? Um, Not that I'm opposed to, I mean, I'm really opposed to anything that takes any of my freedom away. But some of that is maybe selfish on my part. But, like, I I I don't want to interfere with other people's freedoms and happiness. And there's always going to be some overlap, but the idea that we rely on the government to regulate these sorts of things seems ridiculous. You know, it's, it's, it's like me trying to settle every argument with my children. Like, I don't know, beat each other up, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. Well, it's, it's the difference between, you know, um, you just keep, you just keep adding walls to the book. And I, I think there is something to be said to look at what's already existing and, and does it work and, and do it. But that's requ- so hard to get rid of them, but that requires work. Number one. Yeah. I mean, I've, how many laws have actually been repealed and when they've been repealed, how many laws have been repealed in total and not just simply repealed and then replaced with, yeah, uh, we exactly. chopped like one or two provisions out and, and here's a whole bunch of new stuff to add to this. I, mess. I would love to see a list of all the ridiculous laws that are still on the books oh, for like the last 200 years. Right. From like, you know, there's no state and, and, and I mean, just things that absolutely do not apply to anything and are ridiculous because and would be laughed at. Today. The, the answer is new law. We'll just make a new law to deal with it. And there's a difference, I think, also between, you know, what works, what doesn't work, and then also what's constitutional, right? Because at the end of the day, if it's not constitutional, it doesn't matter whether it works or doesn't work. It just can't exist in this paradigm. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll get on Gavin Newsom and we'll just create some new amendments and shit. Well, hey, you know, I I don't agree with his approach. Uh, I mean, certainly not what he's trying to uh, do with that amendment. However, that process is built into the Constitution. Well, once I said it and you started talking, I was like, yeah, I actually agree with that way more than him creating a new regulatory agency that's going to, you know, fuck me up at the airport constantly. At least when it's I'm by the rules. Plane, you know, <laughs> yeah. It's like... Oh, ATF, where, yeah, well, yeah, all those arm braces, you guys are felons now. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, at least it's going through the process that was designed for, um, and I hope it crashes and burns miserably. It is interesting, like I brought it up before, how, you know, it's one thing that is very political, you know, and, and typically it's like abortion and mm-hmm. firearms, and those are like the big ones that come to my mind. You know, and they're very controversial. The, and it's it's funny because a lot of the environmental stuff is tried to be partisan, and then you know, a lot of ways, like a lot of the conservationists are really the 
people that are kind of on the far right, you know, that yeah. whether you hunt or you think about like national parks and stuff like that, that's not, so there's some overlap there, but you always say it's, it's interesting that no one ever goes like we, you know, people use children for all sorts of things, fundraising for hospitals, mm-hmm. you know, or firearms, you know, shootings and stuff like that. And all those things are tragedies, but it's like, you know, when you start thinking about, well, swimming pools kill tons of children and nobody, but it's, you know, bipartisan. So nobody gives a shit about saying, Hey, maybe, maybe we should not have swimming pools in everybody's backyard. I mean, how many thousands of kids would that (laughs) save a year, you know, or it's the design, right? What do you mean? It's the design of what it is. So somebody said to me recently about the, you know, um, you can get into a, a Ford escape and drive into a crowd of people. Right. And then you're not going to ban cars, but, a firearm is has a specific, you know, the design of it is has a specific use, you know. Well, no, I think that's false. It's like, you know, Eugene Stoner who did the M16 and you know, has designed a gun that has been in war and caused a lot of people to die, but he was a target shooter. So if 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 I only shoot competition and I design a pistol that's very effective for that and it's for shooting paper targets, but it also kills people just like a Ford escape. If you misuse it, you know, it's, so then it's just, it's just arguing the design intent. Like we could scrap every gun we have now. I can go design guns for hunting and, you know, target shooting and every other use that's not to defend your life or for the military for combat and stuff like that, but it can still be effective at doing those things. I mean, I think it comes back to That's an interesting point, but it's, um, the argument of intent, which is, you know, half of, and it should be half if you, the law, like you charge someone with a crime, like half of the crime is it's, it's intent. Like if you don't have intent, then well, I mean, it, I, I don't know. Strict liability like, in which or, case, Oh, you have that guilty. <laughs> well, you know, you think about like, what if I, I have a, I have a swimming pool in the backyard. Like mm. what if I'm a serial killer and actually just put that pool in there to drown people? Note to self, don't yeah. go near the pool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but it is like, I mean, that's the problem when you start. But yeah, I mean, yeah, people could say that. But if I, you know, you think of the, the, the Las Vegas shooting, you know, where that guy took like, for whatever reason, like 50 or 70 guns into a hotel room. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Why in the world would you need so many? I, I have no, it's, that whole thing's confusing to me. But you know what I'm talking about, Thomas, where across the street there was a concert outdoor concert and it's right there on the strip and he shot and he shot a bunch of people and it's a huge tragedy and the guy's obviously fucked up and sick and like what a piece of shit um and he hurt and he killed a lot of people but he would have been like a hundred times more effective had he taken like a tractor trailer and just driven it through that crowd you know he would have killed like a thousand people yeah so i don't no, I mean, oh, no, that's a tough one. Yeah, it's a tough one. I, you know, and also I think one of the biggest problems we as a society face is people are looking for easy answers on everything. It's really easy to just blame a, a tool, right? Yeah. Because you don't have to you don't have to look or solve any of the underlying issues. Well, if we just got rid of the thing, the mechanism, everything will be okay. Well, no, not necessarily because the mechanism didn't cause that person to go do that. Yeah, I mean, it's like everything else, you know, an animate object, mm-hmm. like a car or whatever else, you know. It is, yeah, all, all these perspectives are interesting, but this is the one thing where, you, you know, typically liberals don't have fire or a lot. I mean, that's stereotyping, but the, sure. don't hunt or shoot as much or 
whatever it is. So this becomes very partisan. Yeah. And and I mean, I think I I feel the same way with the argument with like abortion. It's, you know, I know tons of conservative families that have been okay with abortion when it's their kid. Convenient. Yeah. So like, that's a bullshit thing. And I just hate that. I wish that would come out of all the arguments. It's just like such a, just everybody shut the fuck up about it now. But (laughs) I mean, this is one to where, you know, it's, uh, yeah, people forget about loading people on boxcars and shit. Uh, yeah, we got enough history books on that that hopefully that's not forgotten. <laughs> but it is. It's like, oh, that would never happen in today's society. Like, fucker, uh, that wasn't that long yeah, ago. Yeah, no, it wasn't that long ago. Um, you know, the the gun thing is, I don't want to say it's interesting, but one of the trends I've noticed over the years is that it's almost entirely uh, emotion versus logic. Yeah. And the, those are two languages that just don't communicate with one another because they're entirely different. No matter how, no matter how logical you are, and no matter how much data supports your position, none of that's going to matter to somebody who's operating on emotion. Well, I feel. Yeah. I think. Well, yeah, no, no, no but here, well, yeah, but I, I still, I, I don't feel not safe. I feel unsafe. I'm not comfortable. Right. I wonder if every gun, because to me, like guns are scary in this regard. They're loud. Like, I don't like that. Like, <laughs> is that, that why you make silencers? Sc- yeah, it scares the hell out of me. And I also have motorcycles. And you don't see me with a motorcycle with straight pipes on it either. That shit's horrible. <laughs> but I, I think if every firearm had a silencer and you didn't have this, like, uncontrolled explosion at the end of the gun every time you pulled the trigger, it wouldn't seem as scary to most people. I know when I take women or kids to shoot that have never really shot a gun, like, I never do it without a silencer. And they yeah. always end up loving it. Well, like, see, you know, the sporting that's like, the key. aspect of shooting. That's the key. I think, you know, I, I, it might have been, I, I think I told this last time I was here, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse. But what I found throughout my life is that people who have negative opinions of firearms, nine times out of ten, don't actually have any experience with firearms. It's just based on information they've gathered through news or what they see on TV or yeah. you know, in movies. And then when you actually take them and you're like, okay, here's a couple safety things. Let's go shoot and have a good time. Exactly the, the same thing you found. Oh, this isn't scary. This is actually a lot of fun. Like, I really like this. Or I see the utility of this thing, and yeah. I can understand why you would want it. And it was a pivotal time in my life. Like, I didn't grow up with guns, and I've said all this before. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, as a teenager, I got to shoot all these, like, military guns, which I wasn't into G.I. Joe's when I was a kid. I loved Star Wars and skating and, like, pro wrestling when I was a little kid. And, you know, I wasn't into the, mil- like, military or any of that kind of stuff. But, like, shooting a gun, because it was loud, it was kind of scary to me, but then one with a silencer made all the sense in the world. And, you know, and I had the privilege of of shooting an MP5 SD, and I was like, oh, (laughs) this makes so much sense, and it's such a different experience than this other thing. Um, Yeah, I mean, I just wonder if the exposure to everyone was like that, if they would feel differently about it. Um, yeah, I think I think there would be a, a a pretty sizable demographic shift in at least thinking. But you're always going to have people that are going to uh, be irrational, or they're going to operate on just solely emotion, or maybe they just plain don't like it and don't think you should have it. So my way or the highway. Yeah, you know that's the world we live in. Mm. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, that crow that. <laughs> Reminds me of that time we were doing the podcast and that bald eagle landed in the yard and grabbed something and flew off was so cool right behind us landed right there where my land cruiser is that is really cool yeah it's like (laughs) freaking bald eagle yeah it was a great day (laughs) um okay so how how long you been at this new organization second amendment foundation uh november 1st is when i started 
So last last November. Pretty new. Yeah, pretty new. Pretty new. So what's on the horizon for you guys? What do you what, what's what's your next big thing? What are you gonna do? Well, uh, you know, I came on board as the executive director, and uh, at this point, you know, Alan's been at it for almost fifty years. Uh, next year will be fifty. I was, I um, I know because that's when I turned fifty. <laughs> See, about the only thing that happened in nineteen seventy four. So. Uh, you know, in, in addition to trying to get ready to celebrate 50 years of, of what we've done. That's um, fucking uh, awesome. I thought it was a new organization mm-mm. before you got here today. Yeah, no, it's not. It's been around for quite a while. I mean, I wish I would have known about it, but it's <laughs> cool that, I mean, that history you're talking about. Yeah, so, and that's actually, you know, it's fascinating. So I joined I joined as a life member back in 2013. Jeez. And all the history I've learned about the organization, I actually learned when I started working there and it's, it's fascinating to me how rich of a history it is, but how little it's actually known. So one of my yeah. goals is to really kind of, um, magnify that and tell the world that, Hey, not only do we exist, but this is what we've done now as to where we're going. I've got some ideas. Um, you know, the organization has been a traditionally a very small organization as far as, uh, personnel, yeah. uh, which has allowed it to operate, you know, lightly on the financial side. Um, my goal is to build out a structure, not not a um, not one that's just pork, you know, like like what Congress does. But um, you know, I, there's some positions I want to hire for that will make us more effective at what we do, as far yeah. as the communications, as far as the education, um, as far as our our legal stuff uh, that will enable us to take donors' dollars and really convert it into something meaning continuously meaningful. Because what yeah. we've done has been meaningful, but. Um, you know, I, I see opportunities for education that yeah. just aren't there. I see opportunities for more legal related things. Yeah, the education, I think, is a big part because I do agree with you. I think is what you were kind of saying a minute ago is a lot of the anti-gun stuff is ignorance. Like when I was a kid, like I didn't grow up with guns and I grew up in a city. And if you had asked me when I was 12 years old should people be able to own machine guns i'd be like hell no right <laughs> but it's just like i was just ignorant i sure. didn't understand you know and so, so i do think the educational piece is huge especially for converting people because i mean I, i've had lots of friends over the years um that were liberal and anti-gun and you know as they get to know me and you know eventually it leads to taking them shooting and they understand and you know, get some education on it and what it really is. And it's a big thing with me with like conservation stuff for hunting right now. Mm-hmm. And it's just what I'm kind of into. And it's one of the things that makes sense, you know, whether it's like, you know, Thomas. Yeah. I mean, he understands it. He spent enough time over there with me now. And it doesn't mean you necessarily have to shoot an animal, but understanding like what's entailed in actual conservation. Right. So that we can continue for generations to have these animals. Um, yeah. It's not that you don't maintain them. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and it's educating people on that. And anybody that's reasonably smart and rational, you can explain. And and if they don't and they're smart, it's if they they have to be willing to listen and think about it. It's an emotional thing mm-hmm. beyond that, just like you said. Yeah. So, um, you know, the education component's massive in, in what I yeah. want to do. And that's going to take some time to do. It's going to require the right right people um, that are able to take, you know, sometimes complex information and really distill it down into something that everybody can understand. Um, you know, like that's something I've done over the years and, and, you know, people, Oh, you make that look easy dude. There's sometimes where I read that thing three, four or five times before I actually understood what it said. (laughs) I mean, it's definitely important in your career because like, uh, geez, our legal system is so complex and convoluted at this point that it is, 
not easy to understand a lot of it. No, it's, it's, it's not. Um, there's a lot of resources out there that are, you know, doing things along those lines. And I'm, I'm happy to see that people are doing that and that there is an effort to yeah. educate your fellow citizen on why these things are, are or how this thing works or what does this actually mean? Yeah. Uh, because it's important. Most people, you know, oh, that happened. Okay. Neat. You know, and they don't, it doesn't matter. What, what, what are the implications? What is it? Eh, well, when somebody can distill it down for you, like, oh, that actually does impact me, and it impacts me in a fairly large yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, making people understand how it affects them or their lives. Mm-hmm. You, you know, as far as growing the organization, like I've always been a part of Special Operations Care Fund, a special mm-hmm. operations charity, and, um, you know, it's a good friend of mine who, who started it. And uh, I don't know, it's probably about 10 or 12 years old now. But they never had a paid employee yeah. until this past year. Yeah. And, you know, that was a very difficult decision for them because one of my attorneys is on the board of the organization and, you know, Dave Kramer, the the founder, Mm -hmm. is a good friend of mine. And that was like a very difficult process, like a multi-year process to them to do it. But, you know, you got these guys who work full-time jobs and Dave especially is, he was the primary fundraiser. I mean, he did everything and and the organization got to the point where I I didn't go to this year's event in January or whatever. I think I was in Africa, but... Last year, we went like in one night, it raised like three and a half or four million dollars, yeah. and they don't have a paid employee, right? And so, you know, like there, Dave is, you know, like Dave's a middle class dude working a full time job for Magpul, raising three children, and he, passion project. Yeah, and his passion project yeah. is like a full time job for eight people. Yeah, and you know, somehow making it work. And I would tell him, it's like, man you guys have shown who you are and as long as you're transparent, but it makes sense, you know, like, especially when you start getting legal stuff is so expensive as you know, and attorneys have the opportunity, like you only want an attorney if they're good. Like my, my vast (laughs) experience with attorneys, you know, it's like LASIK or a boob job. Like don't take the lowest bidder. Like that's not the thing you want. That's not where to save money if you need an attorney. Yeah. And, but, that people need to make a living and you want good people at organizations like yours or even like special operation care fund, because there's no sense in investing any amount of money or resource or time into a lawsuit against a municipality or a state or something to where you're going to get your ass handed to you. Like you might as well just ignore it. You're investing in, in your future and it's, it's, it really is an awesome responsibility to be yeah. sitting in the position on man. It, it's, yeah. It, it's something I never imagined. It was certainly no ambition of mine. Uh, you know, as, as I kind of told you when we had lunch earlier, well, I like aim I, higher Adam. Aim yeah. Higher. <laughs> right. <laughs> not, not high enough apparently, but it, it really is a, a privilege to be able to do this. And there really is a feeling of pressure of making sure that what I am doing is the right decision to make and that it is yeah. going to be the best thing, not only for the organization, but for the, you know, the second amendment is this decision to bring this lawsuit what is actually best? Yeah. Is this attorney the competent one to handle this or do I need to yeah, go? Yeah, it's better to wait else? till you can afford the best one. And people understand, but I think a lot of people go through life and they don't really have to deal with attorneys, especially to the degree that I've had to deal with them. Mm-hmm. So understanding the value of the best attorney and how that can really change the outcome. Because I think the average person that's sort of ignorant to a lot of this stuff or has been fortunate enough to not be involved in lawsuits. You think, well, there's a law, and it's like, okay, this person did this, and this person did this, so the right thing's going to happen. Now, like, that is not the case yeah. hardly ever anymore. You know, I, I'm going through my estate process now and setting 
redoing some of it and setting a lot of it up and setting up trust and different things for my stuff when I'm gone. And it's interesting having to think about like having children and do I want to leave my children money? And if I do, how much? And, and how does it get distributed? You know, and how you do, yeah, how yeah. it gets distributed. It's like, okay, well, what's my experience? Well, my experience is I got no money from my parents and they're still alive. But it's like my friends who yeah. are in these situations where they don't have to worry about money and it's money they didn't earn. Are their lives better or worse? You know, and you, you go through all of these things. But where I've come to is like the majority of my money I want to, well, I mean, I'm fine with spending it all if I'm able to do it. <laughs> but if not, then it's like, okay, whatever wealth that I have when I'm gone, what do I want it to go to? And it's like, I want it to go, and like right now, the things that I'm interested in are men that are falsely accused of stuff by women, mm-hmm. primarily in whatever regard. You know, and mine stemmed from a divorce that led to me getting custody of my children. Right. And, and like, um, you know, I would love for family court to be equitable. Like that would be really cool, you know, or um, where it's, it makes sense and you're not at a disadvantage being a man. Sure. Because you already are. Well, like there's no equality, you know, in family court. There is not. No. And what it costs me for the right thing to happen because I was a man. So it's like men that are in that situation. So that's been a thing where I've wanted to set up or, or support for a long time. And then a recent one has been, you know, and it probably will end up as a firearms thing, but that, you know, unlawful arrest or people that are wrongly convicted and supporting this sort of abuse from, you know, like government, because most people, you know, I realized going through my divorce and child custody case was if I had not been so fortunate financially, there's no way you could do it doing a regular job, even having a good job, you couldn't have done it. And so, so how, how do, how, how does the average guy do that? And what happens is the average man who's in that situation, you know, an average man who is, you know, wrongly accused of something is at a disadvantage. He can't afford to fight it. He loses his children because he's a man and that's horrible. And, you know, and so now it's a thing for me, I think with firearms and especially with, with law enforcement, it's like, just like I was talking about regulatory, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, well, it's become a lot more often the last few years, you know, and a great thing about interaction with law enforcement is everybody's got a, a video camera with them now. Now they do. Yeah. And so, it, so <laughs> it's leveled some of that up and it would be a terrible time to be a police officer and there's so many good ones. And, uh, you know, I've had plenty of interaction with police and 99% of mine have been great. And about 1%. 1% wasn't. And, uh, oh. you know, which led to a swimming pool for me, but, um, <laughs> which is cool, but it's okay. But then it's the same thing. Had I not had money yeah, to fight diff- them, different outcome, it's a totally different outcome, which would have affected my entire life. Like I would have lost my company. I would have lost, you know, probably lost my right to own firearms, mm-hmm. everything else. And, you know, in the end, the chief and prosecutor resigned. Yeah. So um, the legal the legal stuff's not cheap, you know. No, that's uh, and I know and I know not. and I know that's your point. And it's so there's you know the the individuals that are uh, you know jammed up by law enforcement on things that you know shouldn't be like it it costs money to to do that. Um, you know there are there are instances where groups like SAF or or other organizations um, there is a broader public interest sometimes in in somebody's specific situation. Not always, but sometimes. And you know sometimes these groups are willing to look at it and go ah 
we can do a lot of good with this yeah and are willing to take that on um you know we just as a general rule with our attorneys you know we were mentioning good attorneys cost money and that's absolutely true we're fortunate enough that we work with a bunch of attorneys that give us a break because yeah, they're they're cool. passionate about it uh they want to work with it, us it should be um i was thinking about that when we were talking about it earlier is but it's still the one, expensive. The one thing, <laughs> yes, one thing about people being passionate about firearms, either way, mm-hmm. is you will find some attorneys that are willing to help. Because I, I know with you know my situation with the municipality that you know violated my civil rights and paid for it. You know, yeah. in the end, you know I had good attorneys, but you know one of them is like six hundred bucks an hour, and I'm like, well, I mean, like I, I I've been through enough things to know. It's like, well. Once I understood what was going on, this is not going to be the most difficult case in the world. Right. So, like, do I want to, I don't mind spending X, but do I need to spend 2X to get this done? And that was kind of the discussion. And what instantly happened was, pro bono, I want to be involved. <laughs> you know? And Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it worked out great for me. Um, but, but I would think you would be able to get some pro bono or at least reduced rates with some good attorneys and that's that's exactly what we do is we, we we work out deals because again it's you know look we're a nonprofit. we're working with people who are giving yeah. us 10 15 20 bucks we need to make sure we're maximizing their dollars yeah, value sure. and those attorneys are great about understanding that and willing to work with us because they want to be involved in the issue area they want to work with us and a lot of them you know at this point we have such good relationships with them that it's just like we've already, we've already built that bridge. And as new attorneys come into the fold, as we discover new people or younger ones start to come into the mix, like here's the deal, man. It's not, we don't think you're worth X. It's we're trying to make sure our donors are getting the best bang for their buck. And nine times out of 10, they go, cool. I'm in. Well, that's cool because I do think, you know, once you get to the level of whether it's attorneys, engineers, or whatever, you get that top, whatever you want, call it 10, 20%. Mm-hmm. In my experience, it's you get the ones that are passionate about it and they're going to be the best attorney, no matter if he is the most qualified or he's just in that top 20%. You know, that, that passion and desire for the project is, is very important. And, and, you see it in the work. Those are the ones that are going to put in the extra hours when it sucks, you know? Yeah. And the, the level of care and um, just making sure that everything is well thought out. Because, again, this is a massive responsibility at the end of the day. And it, it when, I, when I stop to think about what people are actually entrusting, you know, staff with and, and me with and our lawyers with, that's a lot to really think about. And I know the lawyers, when they're looking at it, okay, it's no longer just simply, oh, you know, Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall and who are we going to sue over that? And, you know, if we walk away with money, cool, but this affects thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, uh, you know, potentially an entire country. Or I better, ge- or I better generations. Get right. Yeah, I, I better get this right the first time because there might not be a second time, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's true, yeah. Yeah, it's a responsibility. Good for you. Not sure I want it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a tough one. But, yeah, the satisfaction of correcting some of these things or not allowing stuff to happen, even if a lot of people can't understand the implications of it. Well, so as we get further in time away from the adoption of constitutional rights, and I think you can probably apply this to more than just constitutional rights, but as you get further in time away from when something was done, 
and the understanding as to the why behind it disappears and it's yeah. not being passed down from generation to generation it becomes less important. So Yeah, the erosion of the rights are much easier over time. Because you have people waking up and go, well, what do I need that for? Well, you didn't wake up 10 years after a war with a king who was trying to tax you to death yeah. overseas. And, um, you know, this understanding of, well, you know, the police will protect me. Okay, <laughs> well, maybe, but really? You're really kind of That's responsible what you want to gamble yourself? on? That's what you want to gamble on? And I yeah. think a lot of people today feel, because they didn't live in societies and in times where... You were really responsible for We've yourself. We've become very soft. Yes, I think that's I think that's absolutely true. the The whole going back to like you know back in the day when the Constitution was written, it was for like you can stand up against a tyrannical government, right? That was certainly a big consideration. Yeah, right, yeah, right. But so like nowadays, there's there's no like standing up to any sort of government. It, you can't. You sure about isn't that? Isn't that just what happened uh, last year, January, when they decided they were going to re- revolt and see? I'm, then everybody's in prison now. Yeah. So I'm not so sure about that, right? Like uh, that. That. And, and I'm just to be clear, I'm not advocating for civil conflict or civil war. But you have all these people. Well, the government has tanks and F-15s and F-22s and stuff. And well, how long did we fight a war in Afghanistan for? What was the result of that? A bunch of gets a bunch of dudes in a mountain with you know mules and uh, yeah some modern stuff but they they fought a 20-year war and there was no decisive oh man we crushed them uh so you know i i think it still has its place and purpose for that exact thing what it would require is an entire group of people to decide that yes in fact we are going to fight against a tyrannical government and we're going to fight to win not simply um a few people decide that, you know, well, we think things have gotten to a point that's no longer tenable and everybody else looks at them and goes, well, you, you guys are out of your minds, right? Like we're, we're not at that point yet. There's other ways that this can be resolved. I, I look at it differently. Like the capital thing, I think was more of like a political statement. When I think about it, where, cause how many, how many people in America own firearms? You have any idea? I forget what the figure is. However, many millions of people. It's uh, it's a hundred million, two hundred million people. It's, I don't know. It's not an insignificant number. So if half the homes in America have guns in them, like yeah, you can have tanks and all. What are you going to take those tanks to everyone's house? Like, like the idea is that if there's not, there's in a lot of places, it probably is what keeps a lot of law enforcement honest. Like if you're not going to violate every home's rights and go in and do whatever you want, if you're a police officer and can say, oh, I suspect you of doing this, and what are you going to do about it? If every house has firearms in it, it's like you're going to think twice before. Well, and also your family, right? Your family lives here. It's not some guy from some country, you know, nowhere near you. It, it's It's potentially your neighbor or maybe it's the person in the next state over or whatever it is but it's not it's not a bunch of foreign invaders whose families are totally immune to something you're, you're talking about your fellow citizen and uh it's you know i it serves a purpose as a, a final measure uh for tyrannical government but i think you know there's a lot of other things be- between a and b on that point and not to mention just you know again there's that inherent right to self-defense arm self-defense um that you know is is 
it, it's a right that predates the Constitution. And it's not that the Constitution gave us that right. The Constitution simply prevents the government from infringing on that pre-existing right. And that's where I think a lot of people forget And uh, when we talk about constitutional rights generally. It's not that government granted these to us. They were already there. It's just government, in theory, can't infringe on them and shouldn't be infringing on them. And if they do, the mechanism is, you know, go to court and fight it and have it declared unconstitutional. Yeah. It, it, it's like if they, they ban firearms, if you believe that's the first step, like, you know, sort of like what Hitler did in, in like, the ghettos. It's like, who's going to go and get them? Like, some, like, there has to be people that go and collect these guns and all. So that's another thing where... Death through attrition you know, is the other way. Yeah, it's probably... Yeah, or, or but, you know, like ATF and this current administration, you want to ban guns, like, okay, somebody's got to go collect them all. Like, I'm not... I wouldn't be... Like, I, I wouldn't get paid enough <laughs> as a police officer or an ATF Wouldn't be jumping at the front of the line for to that go one. knock on someone's door and tell them they're giving me their guns. Yeah, but you could get it through death through attrition. So you make it illegal today, but you can keep yours. But you can't yeah. transfer it to the next generation. Or maybe even you can. But if you shift the culture so that, well, the next generation doesn't care and they don't think it's important. Yeah, yeah some, some obviously will. But you get enough and over time you can just systematically cut down the number just through through that. And yeah, then it which is what's a, happened in mm-hmm. most countries. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we live in a very interesting world where a lot of countries look at this and go, well, why on earth would you need that? Well, if there's any number of reasons I need it. You know, self, self-preservation self being a, a pretty big one. Hunting. S- sport. Um, you know, the, the nuclear the nuclear button option. Um, and, and it's just, it's fun. It's cool. You know, like, it, 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 guns are awesome. Why, why are people going after the Second Amendment? You know, <laughs> I, I wish I could tell you. I think I think that some of them truly believe that what they're attempting to do by, you know, putting limitations on firearms, I think some of them truly do believe that they are trying to do the best thing that they can for... I believe that. ...for what they the, the population or for kids or, or yeah, themselves or whatever. makes them feel good. Yeah. I, it saves only one kid, but yeah, it was how many it. are going to die as a right. result? Yeah, so I, I think there's some that are like just true believers that this is the right thing to do. And then there's others that it's a mechanism of control. Um, and I'm sure there's everywhere in between, you know, people that just don't care and don't think it's important. You know, it's not that they're super against it, but, you know... If it, they disappear tomorrow, what do I care? So yeah, sure, I'll vote for this. Yeah, it's a it's a thing. Like any sane person, you see like a school shooting that breaks your heart. Mm-hmm. And I think you know people uh, like have knee jerk reactions to all these emotional things, and like it makes you feel good. And that's going to save, you know, we stop guns. That's going to save the next kids from, you know, it's like, uh, you know, then you just have to deal with the reality which I think is what's ignored. There's hundreds of millions of firearms in the country, and you ban them and take them. It's just honest people that are going to do it, you know, and that's not going to stop criminals, and it's not going to stop, you know, people that are on drugs and out of their minds anyway from doing crazy shit. Look, you know, murder is illegal. Murder's always been illegal, right? You can make as many laws as you want, but that's not going to stop people's conduct. Laws serve two purposes, deterrence and punishment. So either... The, the potential punishment is going to deter the conduct that you don't want, or you're going to do the conduct that's not wanted, and then we're going to punish you on the back end. And that's only going to keep honest people honest, right? 
it's like putting locks on your house. You know, not suggesting people shouldn't have locks on their house, but it's only going to keep honest people out. If somebody really wants to get in your house, they're going to get in your house. And so I think, you know, to that end, it's just, I lost my train of thought. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, I mean, another thing is just having such widespread and instant media, people get outraged so easily, but it is probably very difficult to argue like we clearly have the largest population the world's ever had, and it's probably the most civilized and the least violent the world's ever been. You know, I mean, it used to be like if we wanted land, you go, you have a war and you kill everyone, right? And you rape and impregnate their women, and that was just the way it was for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah, but in that population, in one country, firearms is the leading cause of death in children. In what country? This country. Yeah, is that that's, true? I don't no, know. That's, that's, I don't that's think statistic. That's true. There was that statistic be, was rebu- rebuked. I forget what the has exact. to be car crashes. I think it was car crashes. There, I saw this discussion. Well, you know, can Google it now. Let's let's see what you get from like FBI statistics because yeah. it's probably still like where swimming pools, if automobile. I, if accidents. I recall, and I and I may be mistaken, but Tide my pods. My <laughs> my re- my recollection was that the they included kids over 18 in the the children category oh because i want do they because it's funny i'm not gonna tell you you get on that but you you probably and then you probably get some like there would be some abortion argument to this whole thing as well where it gets all complicated is cnn reputable (laughs) (laughs) depends who you ask no there's i would no there'll be fbi statistics on this from like they're probably two years old but you can find them online yeah and if you if you look at um something to refute that statement i'm 99 percent sure it was out it was because they included a demographic that was over the age of 18 but it, to, to like just just squeak it over that line i just have a bunch of percentages here hold on I wonder too. It'd be interesting. I mean, because it's because even if it's not first, right? It's a lot. You know. I don't. Uh, what's, I don't. What's I don't a lot? Know. Yeah. I don't know. But even if, it's, even if it's not first, it's a lot. So, don't you think that? Hold on. I don't. I mean, to me, one kid dying of anything is too many. It's just that's not reality. You know, people aren't going to stop driving because, it, you know, no matter how many people it kills. Yeah. It, it is interesting the things that we accept is okay. Well, like, well, if kids die doing this, that's okay. But sure. I like my swimming pool. I like being able to get to work in my automobile that's not public transit. Yeah. It's, you know, you made a point earlier about, um, you know, shootings and, and children and, and, and it being tragic. and it, And it absolutely is. And it's... It's terrible to be painted as a group of people that are just insensitive to that fact. Yeah, I, I don't like the using of kids. I don't like we were talking about it earlier. Raising money, like any of these sorts of things. You're I think it's weaponizing exploiting. children. Yeah, it is. It's it sucks. Um cancer. Leading cause. Shit. Well, we can all hate cancer. Yeah. I think that's fair. also not bipartisan. Right. Yeah, God, imagine if we got rid of TSA and ATF and we spent all that money on curing cancer. How much better the world would be. 
Yeah, there'd be something else that would come along and kill us. But I agree. We could give it well, a shot. Fuck, let's start there. <laughs> Jeez, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. See, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see a need for for cancer. Uh, I no, think I, we, we could probably all agree with that, and that actually affects everyone's lives. It does, most certainly. Yeah. Cancer, God, I would have loved that. That if that were car crashes, like instead of cancer, that we'd done something about cancer. Oh, yeah. Having someone close to me born with bone marrow cancer, mm. her going through that—that's mm. some bullshit, man. Yeah, it's you know, it is it is a terrible process to have to see people go through. Yeah. Um. So, what do you got? Anything? I'm just reading up on this, and uh, the I mean, imagine if you took half of every two hundred dollar tax and we put it towards cancer research. <laughs> like, let's do that. Well, just just imagine if the government actually funded things worth funding versus spending money aimlessly <sighs> me, on me taking stuff. my shoes off to get on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking shit. You don't have TSA pre-check with you? Yeah. You fly? Come on. Yeah, if I'm not in jail or whatever. Um, <laughs> I generally, yeah, I, I have it, but still. <laughs> uh, yeah, I told the story on the podcast about my last interaction with TSA where he needed, for whatever reason, it's like my dick is popping on the little thing you go through. And they're like, you have something? I'm like, yeah, I, I just have my dick in my pants. There's nothing else in there. And the guy's going to pat me down. He goes through this whole thing. And we go through this whole dialogue of it. And I'm like, it's cool. Like, this is your job. I don't care. Just do it and let's get over it. Do you want to go in the private I don't want to go in the fucking private room. I want to go you. to the gate. That, <laughs> that is either going to, I'm going to get aroused and think I'm gay or it's going to be very awkward. Either way, let's just do it right here. Go ahead and jump on there. And the guy gets all irritated with me. And then finally he's like, well, do you have any sore sensitive? Like, and he was reading the script, and yeah. it's like, ask you, I'm going to pat your dick. Is it sore or sensitive? And I'm like, well, I feel an obligation to tell the truth. Like, yeah, yeah, I have so It's sensitive. Well, what's wrong? It, my dick is just sensitive. It's like the nature of like nerve endings and shit. Like, what do you want me to say? The guy loses his fucking mind that I'm like, my dick. And he gets a supervisor and everything and like refuses to. And I'm like, I don't care if you don't want to pat my dick down then I'll just go with the plane and it gets his supervisor and the guy just like freaks out then starts lying. I'm like, I didn't refuse anything. He asked me if anything was sensitive in my pants and my dick is sensitive, but you're fine to pat it down. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not responsible for what happens now, <laughs> but I just can't fucking stand dealing with them. Like I get it that it's your job. Right. And do your job. I don't begrudge you for that, but this whole thing is so fucking ridiculous that we spend this many this much government resource on this fucking thing which like, which doesn't work no 9-11 was that was the thing that actually solves all this look at somebody acting a fool on a fucking plane now the karens just stomp them to death we don't even need tsa like yeah. they fuck you you fuck with some kids now moms moms are the most vicious thing in the world on planes now and somebody goes crazy i'm fine with that that's the only security i want well, I mean, there was that one guy the other week that, uh, probably a couple months at this point, but, you know, threatening to kill people from sitting in a seat, finally got Oh, up, I hope they stopped start, and start, Yeah, started start going down the aisle, and then, like, that's when, you know, game on. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I I think in general, if someone threatens to kill you, you need to take them seriously. Yeah. Certainly on a fucking airplane. Right. Right. Like we've seen how that that goes. Yeah, not well. What do you got, Thomas? Jesus, man. Yeah, it just really depends on where you look, right? So, ah, so statistics Isn't that shit that Thomas is smart, he's on a computer all day, he spends 15 minutes and he's still confused. So KFF.org, Global Health Policy, which is a polling... Um, Sounds very liberal. Um, <laughs> does it? Yep. Um, says that it is the leading cause of death for children and teens in the United States. I'm gonna Surpassing l- motor vehicle death. I'm going to look this up when I, we're I, done here. Because I, 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 I bet I think fentanyl is... Probably more now than anything. It might even beat beat cancer. I know it's substance the number, use does beat cancer. So it's the because I know like no, white. No, no, I'm sorry. White men in America, eighteen to forty five, it's the leading leading cause of death. Currently. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So there's actual there's actual numbers here. You couldn't um, find the FBI statistics. Oh, I don't no, even know if you could trust the FBI at this point. Jesus. One to nineteen. Um, and it rates different. Uh, 19. 19. Why is yep. 19 See? a child? 19. 19. 19. That's not, that's not a fucking child. And I think, I think if you look for the thing I was talking about earlier about that being refuted, it was because it went th- through 19. 19-year-olds aren't children. Gerrymandering and statistics. 19-year-olds aren't children. So, All right. So, so what's the so point? In the, in the U.S., right, um, it says on this, mm-hmm. on this. Okay. Um, that um, in 20... 2020. Mhm. Um motor vehicles were the second leading cause 4112. Was, was COVID the first? Uh no. No, that's it's a COVID would that be, would that be congenital disease? Is that what that is? What's congenital? No. That's not. No, it, it would flat out just say COVID if it was COVID related. Um, and COVID was killing old people, not not kids. Well, uh, until the hospitals were getting like $13,000 for every COVID death, <laughs> then everybody died of COVID. 4,112 kids, 1 to 19, died by motor vehicle accident what? in 2020. That There's no way that's right. It has to be more than that. And especially like, why is 19 a kid? I'm still confused by this. Well, it's not. And that same year, uh, 4,357 kids, 1 to 19, um, died okay of firearms give me give me the difference in that number because i can't do math in that's my only a couple it's like 200 or something okay um, and i i would be willing to bet again if you if you subtracted the 19 year olds out that it's cars not guns yeah and, and still you think about how tragic that is even even if this number is correct which i of course it's tragic nobody's suggesting that but you know. that we take away constitutional amendments for that percentage of a thing like and what's what was the underlying basis behind it too sure okay we well, yeah, have, how, have the mechanism how, how many but, were two drug dealers in a shootout or whatever that yeah, were 18 or 19 or 17 and could be tried as adults what like, what what led to yeah i mean you know because when you hear it you think oh some poor kid sitting in his sitting in his house doing like a, a puzzle and yeah. somebody breaks in and shoots him for no reason right like, mm, i don't know I, I, yeah i don't that that just I actually thought the number would be higher. I don't know. And that just seems like total bullshit because it says children and it says 19. Yeah. Like I said, I'm I'm 99% sure that, that it was refuted, particularly because they included an extra year, which I think is how they got to the result they were looking for. I, I'm 
I'm fairly certain, but I don't but have the article in front of me. So I don't all remember. the kids that died in car crashes, that's actually phenomenal, which it seems very low. It does. Yeah, I mean, that does seem low. Do you see anything else that lines up with that? Like, what what does CNN and Fox say? So we can probably go in the middle and catch the truth I'm just somewhere. Looking at, I'm looking at these numbers, um, like in Australia, as far as motor vehicles go. Same thing. 188 kids died in well, what's motor the pop- vehicles. The, yeah, well, the, I mean, population the population and population yeah. density is so different. Right. That that's, and the number of people that have automobiles compared to America. Sure. Yeah, there's some there's some variables that are not right there in the number. So no, you can no so traffic. we can say that people are going after the 2A because people are dying and that they feel scared or unsafe or uncomfortable. Say whatever you want. Yeah, I mean you can say whatever you want. I I I can't tell you why they do what they do. Uh I I could posit some theories as to why they what they do and that's that's what I did earlier, but yeah. So so if what's the number so you're probably sort of on the other end of this. W- what would be the number? I'm that- not. I just think it's important to ask these questions. Well, um, well, well, I still think you can find some better statistics on there. But then my question is, what's the acceptable number that's okay? Like, it's going to happen. Like, we're not going to get to zero deaths with children, with firearms, with automobiles, with swimming pools. Like, what's the number that we say is okay? Cause, right, cause I mean, that sounds cold, but, you know, we do it. Municipalities do it. Like, you wait till two people die at an intersection before you put a red light up or well, whatever. Ba- well, thing. based on this, you know, what is, it's Australia who has no guns whatsoever, right? Mm-hmm. That's, well, that's Australia. Mm-hmm. They, they banned guns like 20 years ago. but In 2020, they had 10 firearm deaths. See? So, and, and well, well, like, who, who's like, reporting yeah. that? You know, like, when I was in school, so when I was in law school and I was in Europe, so one summer I spent in London, at, and um, we were interviewing the Charing Cross police station, the home office, which is like their ATF. And that's the largest police station in London, or it was at the time. And firearms, it was they were illegal in London. Mm-hmm. And so they told us, in their office, there's zero violent crime with firearms, gun crimes in London. And this is back in the days of newspaper, Thomas, because I'm old. And so every morning we get the paper, we look at it, and there were murders, firearm murders in London every day. Right. And so we're like, huh. And you ask them, and nah. it's like there are no firearm Didn't happen. murders you know, or crimes reported in the city since the gun ban. And it's like, uh, well, okay. I, so, so to answer your, your question or give you my thoughts on your question, you know, what's acceptable? Obviously, we should strive to make that number zero. However, it needs to be done in a manner that respects people's constitutional rights. You're never going to remove um, bad decision-making from the matrix. So whether you get rid of the object or not, there are always going to be people who are careless, do something stupid, um, you know, things like that. And tragedies happen, you know, car accidents, right? Yeah, this, this one it's, seems pointless to people that... Yeah, it's you know Australia. You know they banned guns twenty years ago. There's still there's still deaths that happen by it, and so you know I, I think it goes back to what I said earlier. It's not that people who are for uh, preserving the Second Amendment or or firearms rights, it's not that we're insensitive or don't care about you know people's lives who are affected by this in a negative manner, but. Getting rid of the object isn't solving the problem. It's no different than the war on drugs, right? Well, it's bad drugs. Well, well, let's let's see that. How many in, in the year they have statistics? The most recent year, how many people in America died of fentanyl overdoses? 
1,552, and that's uh, kids and teens, so 1 to 19. It sounds very low. In 2020, that's what it was. 2020. Yeah, that's the last That's the last uh, year data yeah. is... Yeah, so, I, I mean, I don't know. It, sound, it sounds low, too, but what, you got to remember there's a two-year delta there that were three-year yeah. delta that well, we're missing. What about just drug overdose? And probably half that is from fentanyl. Well, yeah, but I mean, I think drugs. that's I think that's the same thing, isn't it? Substance use. Yeah, yeah, substance abuse. Um, so what? how do you how do you explain like all these people that are like trying to ban you know weapons and whatnot? How do you explain to them how wildly difficult and um, um, unlikely it is to repeal a uh, an amendment? You know, don't don't you need well, there's a process, right? Yeah, you so you need you need the Senate and the House to both vote, right? And then you need to get it ratified by it, uh, the majority of the I states. Two, I think it's two thirds of the states, and somebody could shoot me for not knowing that off the top of my head. But yeah, it's to to pass a constitutional amendment. It's no easy task, but it's by design, right? You're taking literally the yeah, document. I wish all laws were this difficult. <laughs> well, to implement. The implement or to repeal. Uh, both. <laughs> yeah. So you, you got to remember, it's by design, right? We don't want people just willy-nilly changing the document that controls the government uh, because today's good idea was a good idea, and then we get you know three weeks in and go, well, that was a terrible idea, and uh, I, mean, I guess you willy-nilly change it back. But y- you want constant, right? Constant, in theory, is stability. Um, changes are you know something that can be made. It was built into the document as a mechanism for people, but it's going to require the majority of the the, the country to go, yes, we're on board with that idea. Is it possible something could happen at some point in the future? Yeah, I guess anything's possible. Um, but, you know, we'll have to see where, where life takes everything. So. There's just no, there, we can't even pass, you know, basic laws in, you know, just the House or the, or right. the Senate, right? Let alone get. Well, it's supposed to be difficult. Yeah, exactly. But then also getting three fourths of the states to right, like, it's just it's so unlikely that you know like, it's happened. It's happened. I mean, with you know, once with prohibition. Oh, right? we're at how many amendments are there now? Twenty six, twenty seven. I was thinking twenty eight. Well, got Newsom just proposed the twenty. Oh, is this the twenty eight? Yeah. So I think I think Counting there's, I think there's uh, and again somebody can you know call me out for not knowing the number of this. I'm the worst constitutional attorney ever. I don't know how many amendments there are, but there it's you know up in the the high twenties at this point. So we've done it before. No, I mean to repeal. Well, it would just be a constitutional amendment. Oh, he's saying so. how many have been repealed? Oh, how many have been repealed? Just the one, right? Well, yeah, yeah prohibition passed and then oh, repealed. Prohibition is the one you study, so I don't. Prohibition, I don't yeah. If Pro- that's the prohibition is the one that stands out. Um, you know, the the fancy computer thing. I mean, that was one of that, that was one of those things too, where oh, this is for the betterment of society, and then everyone realizes that most everyone drinks. Like this isn't a partisan thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, and what happens? Everybody builds those speakeasies, and oh look, crime went <laughs> rampant. <laughs> Harlem Nights happens. Yeah, that was the only one to be uh, repealed. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, 21st Amendment. No, was repealed by the 21st Amendment. Mm-hmm. Eight, the, 18th the 18th Amendment. Got it. Yep. Ooh, didn't last too long, yeah. No, not really. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's by design to be a, a difficult thing to, to do one way or the other because, again, con- constant is important. Um, 
What, what do you guys both feel? I bring this up a bunch because this has like been on my mind for a few years. If you're convicted of a felony and you serve your time and you're released, the idea that you can't own firearms. I know some of it now is there's exceptions now or you're able to reinstate your rights for like white collar stuff. We had two clients that were convicted of DUIs in Pennsylvania, and they were convicted of DUIs at the highest rate. So it's a misdemeanor of the first degree. It's punishable by more than five years imprisonment. Triggers the federal prohibition as well. Under state law, uh, it's not prohibiting at all, actually. So they could, under state law, still possess firearms and ammunition, but federal law says no dice, so we got to deal with the feds on this particular issue. And so we sued on behalf of both of them. Uh, They both were sentenced to one one was sentenced to jail with work release so he was out every day going to work the other one was sentenced to um, home confinement because he had a medical condition um, and so the that first case uh, the one that was leading we we won in the the trial court and the court said yeah that prohibition as to as to him is unconstitutional went up on appeal and lost and then uh, S- Supreme Court denied the cert petition in that so the companion case the guy who got home uh, home confinement, it's sitting in the Third Circuit right now, and the Third Circuit just decided a prohibited person case on an individual who had defrauded the government out of uh, food stamps. He had, you know, declared his income was less. He didn't talk about his little lawn mowing business, um, but that triggered a prohibition against him from being able to own firearms or possess firearms or ammunition. And so, when you're looking at this just general, you know, what you would call a felon, you know, you ask anybody in in the room can felons own guns and almost everybody will say absolutely not but you ask them like state law misdemeanor punishable by more than two years imprisonment people look at you like you have three heads so there's a lot more than just felonies that prohibit people and so to go to your question as to how do you feel about that kind of stuff and it's not necessarily people who are imprisoned but you know there's a lot of people that i think have lost their right to to possess firearms and ammunition for perpetuity based on a crime that they shouldn't have and if we now look at what the Supreme Court has said, text of the Second Amendment, as informed by history and tradition, you look at the history and tradition of the nation, and generally it was people who had a propensity for dangerousness that were disarmed. Um, so, you know, people who were commit crimes that would cons- be considered to be dangerous and have done dangerous things would have traditionally been prohibited. Um, Shays Rebellion is an example, the people who took part in that they were prohibited from possessing firearms and ammunition. The interesting caveat is, is that after three years, they were allowed to, I think it was, they were allowed to swear an oath of allegiance and they were able to get those rights back. So ultimately those people were eligible for it. Um, but, you know, demonstrate dangerousness, propensity for dangerousness, and, and those people were typically out. Yeah, I mean, it's all that vagueness that bothers me. I mean, I think if someone's dangerous, if, if that's what, you know, when you say, you know, violence, that's like anger inside someone. I don't know that that can't be, well, you say rehabilitated, but I mean, I think that's something that, I mean, I guess it would depend. With a lot of people, it probably could be controlled, you know, like you, whatever their reason is, you face that through, you know, some therapeutic process and commit to it. And again, but I mean, I think if we believe people are dangerous to society, you know, if we believe if we let them out, if they get a hold of a gun, they're going to shoot someone, rob someone, do whatever. It's like we probably shouldn't let them out of jail. Like, you know, or we decide, hey, someone does this crime and they serve this amount of time. 
I just you know have a real hard time with somebody not being able to defend themselves or their family because of you know one or two acts in their lives. I, I, I don't just sending people to prison like that's a serious thing, and there's lots of mm-hmm. people that need to be in prison. Um, but yeah, I mean, I understand that you don't think like rehabilitation because I think when it comes to probably like child molestation or rape, something like that, there's probably, but I don't know. I'd have to like research medical studies, but I bet there's not a case where a child molester was rehabilitated successfully. I, I've I, never heard of that. I mean, I made a generalization. Sure, yeah. I'm sure like rehabilitation is real and people like, you know, but I, I, I understand the point you were trying to make. You, you, it's yeah. your, it's your belief that there's some people out there that no matter what, they're just going to be dangerous individuals who are willing to commit violent acts to get whatever it is they want, be it, you know, your car, your, your wallet, or just because they want to do something they perceive to be fun, you know? Um, I think it's yeah probably a way to n- another charge in the future and add on to keep them in prison longer. Because if someone's a criminal anyway and they can't be trusted, them having a you know a, a law that they can't purchase a firearm legally is not going to stop them from having a firearm. I mean, look at how many people. Yeah, again, it goes back to just the idea of prohibition. When has prohibition with anything ever worked? You know, mm-hmm. I. Yeah, I'm not claiming to have the answer or solution. No, it's a tough to, the, one. to these problems. That's why I always like, ask because I like hearing like the other uh, uh, opinions. That's why I'm asking these questions, right? Because like you know, anybody can have these conversations all day long, whether yeah. they're left, right. You know, you're centrist. not going to solve the world's problems. No, yeah, mm-hmm. like there's so many things. You mm-hmm. know, like I don't like the fact that you know children are dying, right? But I fully believe in having a gun in the house. You know. I, yeah, it's one way to keep them from dying. Yeah, like you got I, a kid in your house, and there's some. Absolutely, I yeah. I'm fully on board with keeping my house and my people safe. Mm-hmm. Right, but at the same time, it's like you know anybody can just you know walk into a school and just mow down some children. You know, well it's just like they, you, they they can't if you have adults there with guns. A lot of people would say that you know solving guns with guns, you know, like that kind of thing is like. Well, it, it's what works. I mean, I don't, I mean, Israel, that's the place that, like, individually they have to be the most defensive. And they had a lot of those suicide bombs and schools and, and stuff like that. Those stopped. But having everyone in the military trained with firearms and then saying, you know what, we're going to have, you're going to have your firearms in school. Yeah, they started, you, you know, like that idiot at uh, Sandy Hook, you know. It, it's like if any of those administrators in the front of the school had had a gun, you know, he may have killed no one or one or two people. Well, I have some, like, uh, teacher friends, right? And yeah. they simply don't want, because we've had this conversation, they don't want guns. Yeah, you they don't know? want guns till somebody's shooting all the kids in your class. But even then, you give, them, you, you give them that scenario, They're like, even though they would never know what to, you know, they can't even think about being in that scenario because it's never happened to them. But, you know, they just, they are like, that's not my job. Well, it's weird to, yeah. Yeah, maybe, but if if as a society, us as parents are entrusting these people to our children's safety every day, I mean, you get involved in what they eat, you know, what they can wear to school, like all these things, but we can't depend on you to like keep them safe from that. I don't, I don't know. It's interesting to me going to my, you know, the high school here is really big, and they have these giant hallways that are, you know, four hundred feet long. And they've got one resource officer there with a handgun. It's like, why isn't she carrying an AR? Like, if she's on one end of the hallway and I walk past the other end of the hallway with a, what is she gonna do? Like nothing. You know, that's yeah. that's 
yeah, so, I mean, I don't think that's the best thing. Like, I would much prefer to see her with, yeah, a rifle. I don't, yeah, like I said, I, I, I don't think there is any any good solution to it, right? You're, you're balancing several things there. You're, you're balancing, as I said earlier, a constitutional right, and you can't infringe on that. Safety and welfare. Role, role of government. Like, what is the role of government? Uh, personal preferences. You know, I... I I would not be of the opinion personally that the mandate should just be, well, every teacher gets a gun because if somebody doesn't want to have one and no. isn't comfortable with it, you know, it might as well be a, a brick. Um, but there, there are solutions to the problem. And I, I think more broadly, again, we need to look at what the underlying basis for all this is. And I think that's really the tough question as to why are people doing this? Why is this the acceptable thing? Oh, you know, I had a bad day, so my answer is I'm going to go out and kill a bunch of people. See, I, I think this is all. This is just people in the way it's been forever. Like people going crazy, people doing insane shit, people snapping, people doing drugs, mental illness, like all these things. This, these aren't new things. They've always existed. We we just have like instant coverage of it now, and the population of the world's so much greater. And we have so much more population density, which probably, you know, also is a factor of some of this, I would, I would imagine. But yeah, I still think it's probably we're far less violent than ever in the world. You know, I mean, for me, I don't know. There's been a whole bunch of times I would just love to challenge someone to a duel and we should (laughs) have a shootout in the front yard, you know, and that was fine until not that long ago, even here in this country. You can still have a duel. Where, what what state is that? I don't know. Fuck. Hold on. That's the thing. You can, but, yeah, you know, I think Abraham Lincoln, that's when he stopped being like a um, a newspaper writer or whatever. He would do political satire. And somebody challenged him to a duel and he was going to die and he begged for forgiveness and promised he would never write, hmm. you know, like speak poorly of someone in, like in paper again. And then he became know, president. Then became Honest Abe. <laughs> and somebody was going to end his fucking life. Yeah. <laughs> he had a really good. Uh, <laughs> personal uh what's the word i'm looking for uh, advisor there <laughs> we're gonna remake your image here <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty good call but <laughs> had a man, good publicist yeah good pr <laughs> I, I yeah i mean just think how much better the world would be in a lot of ways if you know that if there were a reason if someone did <laughs> you could X, y, Z, people. you could challenge him to a right, duel so people would watch what or or if you had to fight mike tyson <laughs> you know <laughs> watch what the fuck you so said. it's not what i thought it was um mutual combat is legal in washington state um what does that include you can but you have to have a, a police officer oversee it um, <laughs> so hey are you, there weapons hey you i want so that's what i that's what i thought i thought you could literally have like a shootout but no it's like you can agree to have just beat the hell out of each other fight <laughs> washington has some weird laws no but it's, it's it's legal in texas too i'm gonna need you to referee texas. this please <laughs> yeah excuse me officer <laughs> i'm about to commence some ass whippage yeah yeah so texas and washington you can have mutual combat legally i wonder Co- if people do that google if that's a thing if kind of an odd request and, let's, and then hey, that'd you can, be a you YouTube can link channel. the video have a YouTube channel you could start mutual yeah. combat. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's pretty great. <laughs> I don't know. That, I changed my mind about never being a police officer. If I could be be the warden of this in Texas, be the referee. <laughs> of- Hell yeah! All right, guys, get after it. 
Stop holding them against the fence. <laughs> <laughs> that would just be straight. Yeah. Um, smoking Herb Dean, UFC referee. <laughs> All right, we need action. You can face charges still if the other, <laughs> if no, if the other person is uh, seriously like serious bodily injury, you can face. Charges. Okay, so it's just like fighting anywhere else. <laughs> Jesus, I want some immunity from that. Well, it sounds like there's a point. <laughs> you just can't cross that threshold. And what is that threshold? It's serious bodily injury laid out by attorneys. So it's going to be Vegas. <laughs> fuck. It also has to be in a public place. I love I love that idea. <laughs> of course it does. Where else would you Have find? you heard of this before? <laughs> I, I vaguely knew that something like that existed somewhere. I don't, I don't remember this. Do you remember when I was in school, I remember one thing like it was interesting cuz I think it might have been in like undergrad. I'd have to look at the years. Like pre-law the OJ trial was going on. Yeah. So for like one whole year I was uh, like of 10. school, <laughs> that was going on. So we were studying that. Another one is, I think it was Washington State. See when they outlawed hanging. Because there was this guy on death row, and um, you know he didn't get a stay. His ass was going to be hung. And somehow, so instead of like buying drugs in prison, he was getting all this like contraband food. Right. And he got up to like within a year, like 500 pounds. And so then he argued that it was inhumane. <laughs> Cruel and unusual it, punishment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that it would pull his, it would rip his head off. And that was going on when I was in school too. Oh, the, wow. The last hanging was in uh, May 27, 1994. Okay, that's Washington. when I was in wow. school. Yeah, yeah. And so they changed it to like lethal injection or whatever then. <laughs> but that was the so guy. So they still got him. The guy didn't want, yeah, I think they, they killed him. But, but I think too, like they changed the law then. We could look it up, but... They changed the law then, and, um, you know, then it was like another year or whatever before they executed him. And he was back down to like 220 pounds or whatever. But well, I was like, work for a bit. That guy was committed. That was a good idea. So the guy, Charles Campbell, um, they gave him a choice, uh, and he just didn't make the choice. So they hung him. Like the choice between oh. hanging and uh, le- lethal injection. So they did still hu- hang him. So they hung him. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I did all of that, and I'm still going to get hung. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I don't know. I guess that would be you know, death row. Like, why not? Uh, Good for him being creative. 1994? That was not a long time ago. I, didn't, I, I thought it It was a long time ago. I was a young man then, so fuck off, Thomas. I was born. I was alive, but I was just born. <laughs> <sighs> well, with age comes wisdom, yeah. my man. Something like that. Yeah, Washington so. State is fucking wild. It is, it is weird. <laughs> I remember. that, and, and then even with... um. Like, like within our industry, I think Washington State was a state where you could own silencers, but it was illegal yes. to fire them or yes. something. Yes, so <laughs> I, I actually learned that uh, in my, my last trip out to the office the other week. Oh, you did? Yeah, I had no idea that that was yeah, a thing. Yeah, so, changed like yeah. 10 or 12 years yeah, ago. Yeah, so, so you, yeah. you could own them for collecting, but the second you put it on a gun and you shot it, you committed a crime. Like, why on earth is that a thing? Yeah, Washington, they've always been a little wacky. Can you, can you go after the, the government? to um make silencers um i mean you like you, deregulate you, them no like make them mandatory <laughs> to, to make them mandatory <laughs> I, well, I'm, I'm with you that's how my pendulum swings too let's yeah. just go the opposite so i'm gonna i'm gonna go with yeah i'm not gonna do that because i don't like government regulation and telling yeah. government telling people how to do things so and yeah the government also would never never go for that uh I well, mean, they've gone forward on every other thing that makes a bunch of racket well now they're yeah but now that like obviously silencers bad so they're trying to outlaw them more than anything there was a bill recently i, I can't remember the name of it but that 
was seeking to outlaw silencers entirely. It prob- you know what it is? Of James it- Bond movies. Probably. No, you, know, you know what it is? It's probably like um, some hearing aid company is funny. Because <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's funny when I when you when you hear like the liberal side of things and like the NRA. Like what a bunch of ass clowns the last few years. But you know it is a big organization. But when I hear on the news, you know, like the most powerful lobbying group in the world, and it's like they are fucking peanuts compared to the drug companies. Oh yeah. Like that's like we want to save people. It's like the drug companies are so powerful, like they're above the fucking law and the money that's spent on all that stuff and lobbying and the shit that's not good for people. The amount of like fuck money. firearms, like prescription drugs, like I mean it's another thing like we we're talking about cancer. Like I don't know how many of us or how many people I don't think it's that common that we know someone that's a victim of gun violence. Like we see it on the news and everything, but you know, I'm confident crime. All, all of us have, yeah, crime. Yeah, crime, not necessarily violence. Um, but, well, no, not even just ev- all of us being affected by crime, but like cancer. Like we probably all have had someone in our family sure. and friends and all, and, and all of that stuff. But I think it's the same thing with like prescription drugs at this point. But like I don't, I'm trying to think if in this country, I don't know... I don't know that I've had have anyone close to me that's been a, a victim of a gun crime. I don't know. I'm trying to think, but I don't know. But I do know in South Africa where it's really restricted. I mean, you and I don't know a white South African that either a family member has not been killed by someone with a firearm that was illegal or they defended their lives with a firearm, you know, when someone's trying to kill them or rob them. Um, so that's like, do you, do you, I mean, well, no, your I, profession, but in your personal life, yeah. anybody, what What about you? Firearms, anybody been shot, killed, robbed at gunpoint? I don't know, but I bet we all know people that have suffered from like the abuse of doctors prescribing oh. drugs and not regulating. Well, I mean, yeah, not only that, but uh, the drug companies, you know, Oxycontin, perfectly safe, non-addictive. Yeah, fuck them. How many, how many people? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I'm talking about an opioid epidemic. Yeah, I mean, I have an immediate family member that's, that's gone through that. What uh, what sparked this passion to just be a two A lawyer man? Like, what? what why are you so? <laughs> why are you so passionate about? Yeah, this lawyer man. <laughs> uh, you know, I I think I married an interest of mine, a hobby with a with a career. Um, to, to some extent. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, like I no am no ambition to, to do this. I didn't wake up and go, I want to do that one day. It was graduated from, you know, college. I was working in a restaurant, took a year off from school. My undergrad degrees in political science. The hell am I going to do with a degree in political science? You, you go to law school, right? <laughs> you go to law school. <laughs> Ask me how I know. <laughs> so I went to law school uh, and I was getting towards the end of my, my law school career. I was a night student, so it was a four-year instead of a three-year program. And well, got to make myself marketable to the marketplace. I need an internship. So happened to be perusing a, a Pennsylvania gun form, and I kept seeing this lawyer's name mentioned repeatedly. So I looked him up about an hour away, emailed him. Hey, man, graduating law school next year. Need an internship. Interested in guns. Got anything. Oh, by the way, I don't want to practice law really know how to market yourself 
so I got an email back from his dad who owned the firm basically saying, uh, you know, well, we don't have any internships available. And by the way, I'd advise you to never say that last part out loud again if you're looking for an internship. <laughs> no, 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 you don't understand. <laughs> I'm looking for an internship. <laughs> so I ended up with an internship there. Um, and that's where I worked for five years of my life. And, you know, I I was always passionate about about guns. I can remember we, we were talking about, the, the you know, uh, laws expiring earlier. So when the assault weapons ban was expiring, I was a senior in high school and I can remember going to a gun store and getting the Bushmaster catalog and flipping through and be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to buy one of these. Oh yes, one this would have been like the first time ever. Like you could see stuff with right. flash hiders and bayonet lugs, yeah. collapsible stocks. Yeah. And I was high you know, capacity magazine. I was just turning Ooh. 18. So like what a time to be alive, right? Yeah. <laughs> I can buy one of these. So it, it had always been a personal interest of mine, and it was just really, I think, kind of a, I don't know what I want to do. Um, my my dad was a lawyer with my uncle. They had a small, uh, just general practice in town, so they did wills, estates, a little bit of personal injury, uh, real estate settlements, things like that. And I'm like, I don't want to do that, and I don't want to be a litigator. Oh, all right, let's see what this is. So <laughs> oddly enough, I ended up being a litigator. Um but it really was just kind of marrying a personal interest of mine with a, a potential career. And I was very fortunate to have a great mentor who uh, took me under his wing and, and really taught yeah, me a lot. And so important. gave me an opportunity uh, to, to make something of myself. And Yeah, see how lucky you are, Thomas. <laughs> and, um, you know, when, when another opportunity came up for me to depart, you know, extremely supportive of that, um, you know, w- wasn't at all uh, upset about it. And... Really, it was just a combination of, of all that and then people opening doors for me and me walking through the door and seeing what was on the other side. So I would say, you know, some hard work and, you know, I, I did do some hard work and a lot of just sheer dumb luck and right place, right time. Uh, but I, I, I'm i very grateful for the opportunity to do what it is I, I get to do. There's, there's days where, you know, I do wonder um, what it is I want to do with my life. You know, I, I, I'm still searching for that. However, well, this, yeah, I mean, you're still such a young man, though, in yeah. reality. Yeah, but however, this is this is a damn good way to spend my time. There are worse, especially <laughs> being a fucking attorney. There are far worse. Yeah. You could be doing family law. Oh, yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's kind of how it it happened. Um, you know, like I said, I, I'm, I'm still looking for that silver bullet of man. I want to do this every day for the rest of my life, and and I'm super excited. But um, this is this is a great thing to be doing with my time. I don't, I don't I don't know if you're passionate about things. I don't know that you consistently ever know that or believe that. Right. But I also know, you know, for me, and I don't I don't know about you, Thomas, because it would be interesting too, because you and I have some similarities with our childhood and stuff. And it's like I was very motivated not to work in a fucking factory. Like, I would have done anything. I would have been a criminal before I worked in a factory. Hmm. You know, like, that's what I saw with with my father. Yeah. And he was a miserable son of a bitch. Oh, there's no way. It seemed like, I mean, to me, it was, I would have been just as happy being in jail. Like, this well, is terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I have to do something other than this. That yeah. was a big motivator for me. But, oh, my God, there's nothing I would rather do in this world. But there are days where I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Knowing that I'm one of the luckiest guys in the entire world, my belief. But yeah, there are lots of days where I'm like, fuck this, fuck all these people, fuck this industry, <laughs> fuck this. I'm going to sell everything and move to Bali and just you it, know, open a bar. And it, It's interesting, particularly in this space, because everybody, you know, there is some people have this perception that like they, they own you. 
because they they donated to the organization. Well, oh, like, doing. I pay your well, yeah, oh. okay, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe you do, but um, doesn't mean you get to tell me how to do everything, or that you know I need to commit all of my time and resources to your particular problem. Like I'm I'm looking at a very big picture here, uh, not only of a current picture, but I'm looking five years, ten years down as to like how am I supposed to be shaping this so that when we get there, it's already been prepped. Um, so, you know, like I said earlier, it's it's very rewarding and it's a very, <laughs> at times, a, a, a very heavy, like, burden to, to kind of walk around with when I stop to think about it. So I just throw myself into the work and try not to think about it too much because it makes it a lot easier <laughs> on me. <laughs> well, let's not take you to that place. Yeah. Oh. What else you got, Thomas? Mr. Good Questions. Uh, I don't know how you don't sell everything and go to Bali. We, I, I w- if I, would, I were you, brother, I would be fucking I would be toes in the sand right I, now. Oh, I, yeah, I think that most people wouldn't. And But I also think... You'd get bored. Like my, Yeah, I think I know that, and that's some experience. But, I, you know... You've I, explained this a few times, is how, like, you know, you, you want to, you know, make the next best thing. And, you, you know, you have all these ideas, and you have all these yeah, ambitions. Yeah, the still. desire doesn't go away. And, and it is, it's one of those things, I think, if I had never made money, I would think the same thing. I mean, I think I thought, I mean, I know I thought when I was young because there were, you you know, there were money problems when I was young and stuff like that. And you think, oh my God, if I had money, everything is simple. And that's one thing we talk about an internship or a mentorship, you know, in my early twenties, I had a lot of money and I had no mentor at that point. And, you know, I've made about every fucking mistake professionally and then personally, and then with money as well if that had been explained better. But, you know, I didn't start... I mean, I think it's a different thing. There are people who are very interested in money from a young age, and they set out to do it, and they accomplish that, and that's very important to them. And you see them, they're still trying to make... They're 80 years old, still trying to mm-hmm. make more money. I I don't know. I feel very fortunate that I just didn't want to have a shitty job, and I wanted to do something. I believed... You know, and it may have been college or something... Once I was in college and understanding, you know, having some like I had this um, retired military judge that was one of our professors and he was funny as shit. And he loved teaching at this point in his life because, you know, he didn't have a lot else to do and he was getting older. But it's like you spend so much time as an adult working when you're awake. Why the fuck would you ever do something you don't love to do? And like he hated being an attorney. He loved being a judge. Yeah, And so he hung on as long as he could to that. But, I mean, I think just these examples, um, yeah. And some of the things, you know, I think it's like a lot of stuff you let it come to you. Like, I think if I just chase money, like, it would just, it would be over. But the passion being the product. And then that's something that can never end. Like, you know, and not being like a professional athlete where you definitely have a shelf life. Yeah, there's a shelf life for sure. Like until my mind starts to go, I'm not going to be worse at my fucking job. And I can do my job until I'm 80, whatever, or whatever the age is. So I don't, I don't know. But, but yeah, part of me thinks I go into that, but it would just get so boring. Like I realized when I sold advanced armament, you know, I was only 35. And I felt like I was getting older at the time, but now <laughs> realizing like how young that is. Yeah. And it was like, it was cool. But I, I got right into the lawsuit with Remington because they owed me a couple bucks. And But, you know, two years of just taking my kids to school and 
like being a stay at home dad pretty much. Cause I wasn't, that was an interesting situation because I wasn't allowed to work, you know, cause they were still holding me to the non-compete, you know, it was every shitty, dirty trick they could do. And like, we owe you millions of dollars. Well, we're not going to pay you. We're not going to pay you, but we're also going to hold you to a non-compete where you have to go to federal court if you want some relief from this. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So I couldn't even work. And, and that was such a weird thing. And some ways that was wonderful because of the time I got to spend with my kids and stuff like that. And, um, but in a lot of ways it was just terrible because, you know, you don't have that purpose. And I, I don't know, at this age... If something happened and I couldn't work anymore, I did sell the company. Like going to Bali half the year and being in Africa half the year. I don't know. Maybe when I'm 60, I could, it would work. But I know all I would do now at this point would be start another business in a couple of years. I think it's the hard part. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the things that I find most rewarding, well, I mean, there's plenty of things I find rewarding about this, but the, the constant pursuit of knowledge and, the challenge that comes along with it. I, I've always been one of those personalities where if if I'm not challenged, I tune out. Particularly so I I can remember through school I a always lot of smart people. I always did the bare minimum to get by and it was the good teachers that would see that. Uh uh-huh, uh uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. Not, not here. <laughs> and they would lay the hammer down and I go, Oh yeah, watch this. Um and I think that's what I, I I really truly do enjoy about this. You know, I, I I didn't care that much for the practice of law, but this has a lot of other problems that are, you know, I, I deal with legal stuff all the time, but there's a lot of other problems that I'm I'm looking to solve for and the constant there's never a day that has the same challenges thrown into it. It's always different. And I really enjoy that because it it's something it, it is refreshing. It, there are there are substantive changes, but constantly being challenged means that I have to pursue more knowledge to get better at it or I have to accomplish something to get to the next thing and if I didn't have that this this would not be fun at all um so like I could not retire you know if if you gave me 20 million dollars tomorrow and let's say I you know was set for life I invested whatever and it was well your option is go sit on a beach or you know go sit in the mountains for the rest of time or you know, go do something where you have to work. I would pick work right now because I, I would go insane sitting there. Yeah, I, I I think, yeah, seems strange not to have a purpose. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You could do it. You would just take the money and you'd be in Bali. I mean, I, mean, I would I would like enjoy my life. You know, I wouldn't sit on the beach. What does that mean, enjoy your life? I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, just sit on the beach. Um, Check this out. I got my camera. Polynesian <laughs> like, women. I would go. I would just go and you know be a pirate. You know the whole all around the world. That's what I would do. I feel like that's what I get to do already. Yeah. And yeah, I but then you got to come back and you got to deal with people like me. And, you know. I feel like being a pirate has a short shelf life too. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll, I'll let you know at the end of this. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. Hmm. You know what I realized too? It like the first time when I retired, it's like all your friends and stuff still work. Like you don't. It, it gets boring doing stuff by yourself after a while, and so then you're kind of relegated to either your kid's schedule or your friend's schedule and all this, and so you just end up with a lot of time doing nothing. People can say they have hobbies, but yeah. And I also think that a lot of things, um, just doing it all alone, like I'm alone a lot in my life and generally not lonely, but there are certain 
things that it is just a hundred times better when you're with others. Yeah. So I don't know. Firearms. What's going to happen with this arm brace? Well, we're going to find out. What There's do you think is going to happen? <laughs> oh, the, the veto. Yeah, the Congress isn't going to do anything about that. Uh, no. You know, that, that was that was for political points and only political points because that was going nowhere. Um, however, you know, the court stuff uh, that'll be more interesting. There's three cases in the Fifth Circuit. There's one up in the Eighth. There's one in the Eleventh. The Fifth Circuit cases all have preliminary injunctions. Um, you know, one one lost at the district court went up, asked for an injunction pending the appeal, and all that means is that they're asking this, the the appellate court to say, "Hang on, we're gonna not do anything until we've yeah. looked at this." And so, you know, we'll we'll see. The Fifth Circuit so far hasn't found a gun law that's liked. <laughs> well, is SB Tactical? They've got a lawsuit going, yeah. Yeah, theirs is up in the Eighth Circuit, so it's uh, them, uh, FRAC, so Firearm Regulatory Account. I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but they're they're up in North Dakota, and then it was a number of state AGs, and I think one or two others that might be in that lawsuit. Well, what's going to happen with the SB one? You think? I don't know. What's you the know, trajectory of that? It's it. Well, I mean, they the venue they're in in theory should be very good for them uh that that judge hasn't issued a ruling yet uh last i saw anyway um but, but he's heard it yeah i mean i my if i recall correctly that they were just waiting on the judge to issue a decision yeah. on the preliminary injunction and that hasn't happened yet so well let's say he does where does that go well i mean then it's you know just one more injunction against the enforcement of the the final rule so currently if you're a SAF member uh, the the final rule is enjoined as to its enforcement against you, um, and same for members of these other groups that got injunctions as well. And it's just ultimately going to be at the point where you know if the courts say, okay, ATF, you exceeded your authority in promulgating this rule, uh, you know, and throws out the rule or not. I I don't know on this one. Um, I'm I'm optimistically hopeful, but you know, well, we see what the courts did with the bump stock stuff, which was very clearly. Uh, uh, just you know, ATF literally rewriting the law, and most of those courts until the bitter end, I think you know, upheld that as like ah, all good. And that case is still being fought. And that started; those started in 2018. I filed the first one. Oh, you did? Yeah. So, so where is that now? That one is. Uh, I'm no longer involved in it, but that one's in the uh, D.C. Circuit, and I believe the en banc petition was just. I think it was denied. Uh, so I think the next option there, uh, or maybe a decision was issued. Something happened in it recently. I haven't followed it that closely. And I mm -hmm. think the next next trajectory for it is the Supreme Court cert petition. Let's see if they do anything with it. Hmm. And there's also, you know, uh, the Supreme Court had an uh, administrative case before it recently that might, uh, when that opinion comes down, might change how ATF is able to do things as well. So... We'll see. Uh, you know, right now an injunction is good. It maintains the status quo. So, you know, we'll, we'll find out where things go from there. I don't like to predict where lawsuits go. Nothing good comes of that. People usually get mad at you. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I'm generally angry with attorneys. <laughs> Do uh, Does the uh, pro-2A side of the law ever lose? Oh, uh, yeah. Do you say that? Y'all lose more often than not? You no. mean we? <laughs> we? <laughs> Y'all? So it, it depends, right? Here's here's one of the, the, the things that um, when we're talking about lawsuits, right? There's 
definitely better places to bring lawsuits than others because you're going to find judges that are perhaps more sympathetic or more willing to follow what the Supreme Court said the actual law is. And sometimes you can choose to be in those places because you have a plaintiff that lives there and the thing you're trying to challenge has a broad scope, like a federal law or in this case, a federal regulation. And then there's other instances where you're limited and where you can do it because you're challenging what a state did and it's only in the state and it's in a crappy circuit like the Ninth Circuit. Uh, so California, Washington, Oregon, Hawaii, they're all in the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit was the most overturned circuit in the entire United States. You keep saying circuit. Like, yes. Like I know what you're talking about. Perfect. Let I'm me, so sorry. No, let me tell you because if you don't know, there's probably plenty of other people that don't know either. So... When we're talking about federal uh, federal litigation, you have the district court, which is the trial court. Uh, some states have one district court, uh, like the Delaware has one district court. New Jersey has one district court. You go to a state like Pennsylvania, there's three. There's the western, eastern, and uh, middle district. And it's just going to depend on the geographic size of the state and how Congress carved it up. So you have your district court, which is where the, the trial court or that lawsuit's brought. The circuit court would be the, the court that sits above it, the intermediary uh, appellate court. So uh, the Ninth Circuit would be where you would go after a case that you had in like California or you know any of the states I mentioned, plus a number of others that I didn't. And then above the circuit courts, you have the Supreme Court, the final arbiter of everything. The only other thing I guess worth mentioning while we're talking about this is you have a right to appeal from the trial court to the appellate court. Uh, from there, it's a permissive appeal to the Supreme Court, the cert petition. So you're asking the Supreme Court, will you please hear our case? Uh, and, and this is very generalizations because there's some cases the Supreme Court has to hear. But uh, anyway, so you ask, will you hear our case? And almost all the time, the Supreme Court says no. And it's not just no to gun cases. It's no to thousands of cases every year. They do like a hundred and some every year. They have to have uh, really be, you know, a huge national implication or there's a number of circuit courts that have reached different determinations and they go, okay, we need to step in and just make it uniform across the country so that everybody's on the same page. So going back to the Ninth Circuit, most overruled circuit um, by the Supreme Court between Heller and prior to the Bruin decision. So from 2008 till last year. The Ninth Circuit, I want to say there was about 50, it might be plus or minus two cases, heard uh, about 50 Second Amendment cases. In the panel decisions, where it was a three-judge panel, there were some instances where the panel found in favor of the people bringing the lawsuit challenging the law. The court would then rehear it en banc, which means as a whole, and that's another step you could take between the appeal and, and the Supreme Court. And every single time, as a whole, that Ninth Circuit said, no, law is constitutional. 50 cases over however many years that was, like 15, if I did my math right. Not one that the Ninth Circuit said, yeah, that law is unconstitutional in the end. So, yeah, it, they get lost. Um, you know, there's there's been other cases, too, in other circuits. It's not just the So Ninth you're Circuit. saying those went to the Supreme Court and they have the greatest percentage of being overturned. Well, gener generally, any any cases coming out of the Ninth Circuit, not, not Second Amendment cases, but yeah. just the ninth circuit has made a number of just bad you know decisions in the supreme court has gone no <laughs> like that's wrong so my point with that was though is you know some of these states you know the where where the brace case we have is is in the northern district of texas in the fifth circuit right now i don't think there's a gun law that the fifth circuit would look at and go you know what that's constitutional 
I don't think I, I think you'd be really hard pressed to find some that they would say like yeah that's constitutional. The problem is is that you're not going to be able to challenge like an assault weapons ban in the Fifth Circuit because it's comprised of Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, and none of those states are passing assault weapons bans anytime soon. So sometimes it's just a matter of you got to go to where these laws are being passed. And then when you look at it from a standpoint of would I like to be there? No, but that's where I have to be because that's the only place I can do this in, or I'm going to challenge it here. I'm going to challenge it here and here, and none of them are preferable, but we're just going to challenge it everywhere. And hopefully one of these cases, the Supreme court looks at and goes, you know what? We're going to take this case to answer the question. The, in my mind, and I don't like to guess what the Supreme Court is going to do, but I think if you were looking at logical progression of the cases the court's taken, as I said at the very beginning, you had Heller, individual right unconnected to militia service, firearms in the home, talks about bear. If you really read it, it says right to bear arms, but everybody ignored that. McDonald incorporates Second Amendment against the states and local municipalities. Uh, Catano firearm arms at the time uh you know that were in existence at the time of the founding are protected by the second amendment bruin talks about carry outside the home talks about the test as well so in my mind the next logical case that the supreme court would potentially take on guns would either deal with more issues on carry so sensitive places type things like restricting the areas and really clarifying that no 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 what we meant as a sensitive place is none of the things that you thought we meant or that you just wanted to make a sensitive place uh, maybe something with permitting or like time delays, things like that, or an assault weapons ban or magazine ban capacity restriction. Um, you know, common arms and common use for lawful purposes. Uh, the types of arms that are actually covered under the Second Amendment. What is an assault weapon? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a it's a political term that was devised by. An individual from, I think, Handgun Control, Inc. I can't remember the name of the person. It escapes me. But it really started becoming popular in the early uh, 90s as a way because uh, the the desire to get rid of handguns was, you know, falling away. So, ooh, new boogeyman. Uh, and if you notice, they're even moving away from that term now, and it's weapons of war. That's the new hotness that, uh, you know, the the language ooh, that's I like being that introduced. One. Right? So the... the <laughs> The, the opposition has done a really good job of controlling the narrative as far as the language that's being utilized. Weapons of war sounds scary. Why would you need a weapon of war on the street? You know, like, and to the average person, yeah, why would you need that? Well, so, I mean, assault weapons, if we're going to answer your question, uh, typically the way, the way that they're defined by law is it's a uh, semi-automatic firearm, center fire firearm that has a detachable magazine and usually, at this point now, they've reduced it down to one or more of these features. And those features include things like a pistol grip or uh, a collapsible stock or flash hider, flash hider or a you, grenade you know, launcher. You know, it's interesting when you, you think about, Thomas, you and I love marketing. And what a smart thing that is for them to come up with these terms for these guns. Because I've actually testified before and was asked to define assault rifle and yeah, that was my answer. Like, that's not a classification. That's a like term that probably you know, I assumed it was an attorney made up. I, but, I yeah, the but, name of the individual was escapes it. me. But <clears throat> I heard an interesting argument about because you know you and I spend time in Africa and have sort of more of an understanding of culture in Southern Africa than probably most Americans. And it's interesting. All of Southern Africa, you know, was colonized and ends up with white governments. 
but uh, the the argument was South Africa. They went after South Africa because the white government named it apartheid, and so it like gave them, mm-hmm. you know, a name of this thing that was happening that they could say this is when you know the majority of the population is native and it's black, and you have a white colonized government, and you know, and this is a thing that needs to be destroyed. It, you know, and they only went after South Africa, and like the argument was, well, they they were the only ones stupid enough to name it. You know, and the rest of it just sort of, you know, happened in South Africa. But it wasn't like, you know, when I was a kid, there were all of these stop apartheid stickers and all this. Like, it was even like a movement here. And, like, nobody gave a shit about Zambia or Angola Mm -hmm. or, you know, Mozambique. Like, nobody even knew what those countries were. And it was the same thing. Uh, So, yeah, I wonder. I mean, yeah, smart for them to, like, give certain. And they're very good at it, too. You know the these notions, mm-hmm. very descriptive and scary names. And and so what is what is this side of the fence to? Modern sporting rifle. I don't doesn't I, have the same ring to it. Yeah, I I just hate all of that. Yeah. Like the bullshit marketing, I don't like. Or if it's politically motivated. It's I think it's politically motivated. Yeah, I and, mean you it, know at, at the end it's of the all day, just propaganda. Yeah. If is it uh, is it infringing on rights if uh, say the entirety of the United States of America decided that if you own a gun, if you want to own a gun, carry a gun, you know, whatever, you need uh, a permit to carry that gun, and that means six months of school or whatever of being. Is that a, is that going against rights? So the what the Supreme Court has said in its opinion is that permitting is is constitutionally permissible. Now it hasn't necessarily delved out all those details right there was language in that opinion that certainly would say like undue delay undue burden costs things like that probably not where that line lies remains to be seen and those might be some of the next things well don't you think that you know having something like that could you know cut down on the crazies getting getting their peace well you know it seems like they ought to have that for marriage or having children like the government should regulate that. That'd probably stop a whole lot of kids dying if they kept idiots from having kids. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we should regulate that. I, w- I would vote for that. But that's not unconstitutional. Why uh, not? Is it requiring somebody to ha- uh, to have a permit to use a tool? Like well, you need a permit to use a, a forklift. Okay, but where where's where's the forklift operation in the Constitution? Right. It's it's not. Well, what I'm saying, you know, I, like, you know, again, if it if it if it complies, yeah, you, you don't have a right for our Constitution to drive a forklift. If if it complies with the text of the Second Amendment, as informed by the nation's history and tradition, then it might be constitutionally permissible. I'm not the final arbiter on that. Um, I think that you know, permitting, one of the big problems with it, and one of the issues that was uh, raised in the Bruin case was New York's system of permitting. It it existed on paper, but for you to get one, pretty much damn near impossible unless you were politically connected. There was so much subjective criteria, not objective, but subjective stuff. And now you look post-Bruin at what some of these um, states and and municipalities have started to implement. Well, we want you to have a psychological exam. We want to look at your social media. We need you to take X number of hours of training at your cost with the cost cap undefined. 
It's so funny. Like, I'm so pro-freedom. When you say this, if I think in my mind this is what's required to get married and have children, <laughs> Nobody I think this makes children. total sense. <laughs> I believe in arranged marriage. <laughs> like, making decisions when you are in love or lust, maybe, is like making a decision when you're on drugs. Like, fuck that. So, yeah. I mean, are, are there bounds that, uh, you know, the court may ultimately say is constitutionally permissible? I'm sure. Um, because they, they didn't strike down permitting generally, but they said all that subjective stuff, like good cause, do you have good cause to carry a gun? Yeah, we don't care. That's not an objective standard. You have a constitutional right to do it. Are you objectively qualified to? And again, I don't know what the confines of that, what the court will say that is. Do I personally think, uh, you know, permitting is constitutional? You know, I take issue with it because I think at the end of the day, even if you outlay objective criteria, there's still ways to make things more difficult or onerous or cost prohibitive. You know, what might be a reasonable cost for Kevin might not be reasonable for me. And what might be reasonable for me might not be reasonable for, um, you know, the guy who's working two jobs to make ends meet or doesn't have the time to go do it because they, you know, of what's going on in their life. So like there's, there's multi layers to it and I don't think it's necessarily constitutional. However, at the end of the day, what I think doesn't matter. It's what, you know, the Supreme court or other courts say, Say that happens. Say all of a sudden, you know, and then somebody comes to your firm and says, let's go after him. Do you take that case? So I work at an organization uh, oh, and, yeah. and it would it would depend. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to depend on what exactly those restrictions look like. So right now we're looking at, you know, a number of states that are starting to think about or have proposed bills as to this is what's going to be required for permits. Uh, to, to carry firearms. And, you know, we are looking at what that criteria is and trying to figure out, okay, is this outside the bounds of what the Supreme Court has said is potentially permissible? Like, or is this, you know, inside that confine? And if, and if it's inside that confine that the court has kind of indicated, it might say like, yeah, that, that's okay. Then, you know, probably not. But I think it's going to depend, uh, you know, and that's why I pay lawyers that are way smarter than me to look at this stuff and, and give me advice as to is this something we pursue or not. So, um, you know, just because a, a state uh, passes a law that, you know, may arguably uh, infringe on a, a constitutional right doesn't mean we automatically just go right after it without some consideration. There's also a balance of resources and other things as well, right? You know, I can only do so many cases because I only have so much money. And is this a case that's likely to produce a result that's positive? Um, am I going to create bad case law? That's a very big consideration. That's the one thing I don't want to do is create bad case law. So there's there's a lot to go in that goes into an analysis other than just, yeah, it seems unconstitutional, so let's go, you know, go go take a whack at it. How do people donate to you? Still have to wait for a letter and <laughs> no. return money in an envelope? No, I mean, that's sweet, though. We do like that. Um, no, you can go to SAF, so uh, SAF.org, and there is a uh, join or donate button, and you can do either. Uh, we prefer you join, but if you want to donate, that's cool, too. So we can put that in the link. What about, what What else what other way? Is there GoFundMe? Is there anything like that? <laughs> no, no, there's no GoFundMe. Um, I mean, you know, staff.org is it. You know, you can get on our, our email list. Uh, we send out, you know, releases of all the work we're doing on, uh, you know, as part of the education. At some point, I'm, I'm hoping to build out an informative newsletter that, you know, it's going to take some time. So 
when you see this podcast, if you sign up, don't expect it next week because that ain't happening. But it's on my list of things to do. Uh, but really, SAF.org is, is the best place. We're on social Great. media as well. Uh, but you're not donating there. You're just checking out some of the stuff we're doing. Okay. But So there will be a link there as well yeah. to the website. No. Okay. You have Instagram. The organization does, yes. Nice. Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. YouTube? There is a YouTube channel. It is in its, it's in its infancy. Yeah. Okay. Well, anything else? Anything else you want to cover? I don't think so. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good seeing you. Love it. God, we're getting old. <laughs> it feels like it. Time flies. Oh, man. All right. Well, good luck, man. Keep us informed. Keep up that good fight. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm leaving it up to you to deal with this arm brace situation. Yeah, don't worry. We we, we have our top men working on it. Perfect. Uh, our lawyer for it's been awesome. He's he's fantastic. So we're we're really looking forward to seeing what, what happens in our case. All right. And I want to keep my bayonet lugs, too. <laughs> yeah, we're working on that. that. We, we got eight cases dealing with that. So we're... we're. Jesus. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you. Yeah.